Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. ready. 3-2 on the way. Swing and a ball drilled to right, but right at Soto. He's there. He makes the catch, and the Padres win it. Hayter closes it out, and the Padres take game two here in L.A. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on ESPN Radio right here on 101 ESPN last night as the Padres defeat the Dodgers in game two and tie up the series one-to-one in the NLDS. Alex, as I was watching that game, I couldn't help but have a takeaway from watching the Dodgers. These never go well. I think the Dodgers are more more vulnerable than they've been in a long time. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And we said a little bit, we saw a little bit of this during the regular season. It's strange to say about a team that won 110 games, like, hey, they're vulnerable after they just won 110 games. I understand how strange that sounds. But man, when you got into a big spot, the Padres bring in a lefty, not just any lefty. It's Josh Hader. No, he's pretty good. No, he's not. Remember? Game on the line. Cody Bellinger coming to the plate, but nope, they're going to their bench. And normally when they do that, I'm like, okay, here comes like Albert Pujols last year. Some like veteran that they got. That's a stud. They are like, how the bleep did they end up getting that guy? Nope, not last night. Last night, the Dodgers, the first guy off of their bench was Austin Barnes, their backup catcher who on the season hit basically what you got out of Paul DeYoung. That's the guy they brought in for that spot. I'm not sitting here and telling you that the Dodgers are no good. I'm not stupid. They're a very good baseball team. But Alex, I'm starting to think, first of all, that I I believe the Padres have a very real chance in the series to upset the, the Dodgers and to make it to the NLCS. And secondarily, is it crazy to believe that the class of the National League over the next three to five years is actually not going to be the Dodgers? But instead, that will transition into being the Braves' throne. Is that something that we are witnessing in real time right now? I don't think so. I think the Braves are going to be that top team in the National League because of what they're accomplishing. It's what Tanner doesn't agree with, but uh, it's obviously successful because they're locking up all of their core pieces. But look, the Dodgers are always going to spend money. The Dodgers are always going to have money to spend. And yeah, maybe some of their complimentary pieces some of those pieces in the minors aren't going to be as good as they were for a stretch where you'd be bringing everybody up and they'd be clicking whether it was max muncie or bringing up gavin lux all of these guys but they're still going to always spend money and as much as i look at this and see the fact that justin turner's aging trey turner is probably going to be gone more likely in a cardinals uniform cody bellinger is not who he once was They also still have the two massive bats and freddie freeman and mookie Betts and will smith behind the plate 
And then you can kind of build that team around those pieces with the money that they're always willing to spend. So Is that all that different than what the Cardinals have, though? They're willing to spend more money than the Cardinals. I'm with you, but the the core that you just mentioned there, that sounds a lot like what the Cardinals have for their core. I think which they've is two got guys. two of those three. I think the Cardinals need one more. I think the Cardinals need that Will Smith. And it, it, that might be Jordan Walker, for what it's yep. worth. Or it might be Nolan Trey Gorman. Turner. Oh, you would have Trey Turner, sure. But I, I think that the Cardinals are not that far off from. And again, I understand how strange this sounds because one team won 110 games this year, the other won 93. But l- l- what we're really diving into here is how far behind the Dodgers are the Cardinals currently? I think the answer is not as far behind as it feels because as I'm watching these series, man, the best team that I've been watching is the Braves. The second team that I've been watching. In terms of like the the overall quality, I think is the Padres. And then I would put the Dodgers third on that list. Tanner, where do you fall on this? I think I'm with you. I, I think they are vulnerable, but I don't know if I'm willing to say that they're going to take a drop back. I still think they're going to be the kings of the National League just because of what Alex mentioned. Whatever their hole is, I think they'll plug in. They still have a farm system that's rated pretty high across Major League Baseball. And I, I think that they'll continue to supplement pieces. I just think this is one of those down years. And, like, I look at their pitching staff. I don't buy it. Like, they're starting Tony Gonsolin tomorrow, and then they're going to uh, Tyler Anderson, I believe, is going to start the game four for them. Like, those are guys that I don't look at, and I go, yeah, that that's legitimate aces on their staff, even though they have ace-like numbers. So I their think they're vulnerable. kind of like the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think they're vulnerable. I think they have a bunch of, yeah, Cardinal-esque pitchers where it's like, yeah, it's really good, but it doesn't scream like DeGrom, Scherzer, names like that. But – I do think they're going to remain the team to beat in the NL for a while. I think the Braves are up there, though, because of the core that they have in place and the depth that they have with their system, because I still think they've got some prospects that are getting ready to come up as well. So I think the Braves will be up there, and then I think the Dodgers are there, and then the Mets will remain up there just because I know that they're going to spend to fill any hole that they necessarily have. So Why do we feel that way about the Dodgers, though? Like, why do we feel that they, they are above? I Frankly, I don't. But why do you guys feel that they are above the Braves right now? Because the Braves are the def- defending champion in the National League. Oh, I don't think they're above the Braves. I think the Braves are going to be the number one team in the National League okay. moving forward. I so just think the Dodgers me. are right there with the Braves. Okay. Yeah, that's where I am, basically. I, is I, that they're going to be up at the top with the Braves because of the money I, they can spend. I actually agree with that. I just don't think that they're any longer the clear-cut number one. I think over the last five years or so, it's been the Dodgers, and then everybody else is fighting for number but two. The Braves are entering that window that the Dodgers were in, and I, I think that's what you're pointing out. Yep. The, the Dodgers had that window where they brought up the Max Muncies. They brought up the, um, at the time before he was traded away, um, the shortstop that I'm completely forgetting that they had last season. The World Series MVP that's in Texas now. Oh, Corey Seager. Corey Seager. All of these guys that they brought up through the system, they all clicked, and they were all locked up, and they were all with the team for five or six seasons, and you're thinking there's no stopping this team. But then guys needed more money, and guys aged, and they decided to go elsewhere and retire and got injured. The Braves are entering that window now where they have all of their pieces in place. They've locked everyone up for the next five, six years. The Braves are now the Dodgers. But I think the Dodgers will still be that number two team because of the amount of money they're always willing to spend to fill their voids. The 636 brings up an interesting question. Guys, the reason why the Dodgers are going to be miles ahead of the Cardinals moving forward is not just about the money. It's also because their player development is miles ahead of the where the Cardinals are currently. That person probably doesn't think Jeff Albert's good at his job. I ask this in all seriousness because we talked about it a little bit before the show today. Who are the player position player wise? Who are the players recently that the Dodgers have developed? Not within the last seven years, but I'm talking recently within the last couple of years. Who are the guys that have come up and have lived up to every expectation that you had for the Dodgers? 
Will Smith is I'll give you as a one. Anybody else that you want to add to that list? Because that's that's pretty much it. The for rest me. have been kind of utility players. Like Gavin Lux is fine. He was one of the top play, top prospects in Chris baseball. Taylor. He's thirty two years old. Oh, okay. It's so. been a while. Yeah. It, it uh, should, like as much as people just say these blanket statements of hey the Dodgers have this great player development system and I I think the Dodgers are really good at honing in on what players do well like a Tyler Anderson for example they got the best out of him because they found what he does well and they utilized it and they got rid of some of his they masked some of his deficiencies I think the Cardinals are pretty good at that too though we saw it last year with John Lester and Jay Happ we saw it this year with Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana some of the things that we attribute to being specifically Dodgers centric, I think is just kind of a really good baseball thing. Most good baseball organizations can do the same things that the Dodgers do. They just happen to do it with a hell of a lot more money at their disposal. I mean, they develop them in terms of the pitchers, I think, more than the position players. They've had a lot of success in that category of, I mean, looking at the guys that they use in their rotation and bullpen. But Their, their bullpen, totally yeah. fair on that but side But I'm with you. I mean, some teams are better at pitching development than hitting development the Dodgers had their run when it was the Corey Seegers and the Cody Bellingers and the Max Muncy's they had their run and that's why I think everyone's going to go through this it's just a matter of at what point you hit it you got to hit the lottery on a couple of guys all at the right time you can't hit the lottery on one and then that's the only guy that clicks for you and then you're hoping four other guys will get there and they don't pan out that's what the Dodgers didn't do that's what the Braves didn't do and to a point, I think that's where the texture is coming from. The Cardinals can hit on one guy, but then the other three that are supposed to be the core, those guys don't pan out to be what you're hoping. And then you're looking for that next wave, which in result is going to waste some time that you have of the current team that could win. And I don't think, and you guys correct me if you think I'm wrong here, I don't think the Cardinals have developed a superstar in-house yet in recent years. They thought Carlson, they thought Gordon were going to be these guys. They've developed the supplemental guys who we're talking about. They've developed basically like the... Gavin Lux, the Max Muncy, guys that are really good pieces on a team like Donovan Yepes. Um, trying to think who else would be in that category. Burleson, if he ends up panning out, like guys like that. Hey, Gorman really lived up to expectations this year. Now, we yeah. obviously saw the issues with the strikeouts, but that was part of the scouting report but as well. But they haven't been able to develop that superstar in-house yet, and I think Walker's their hope to be that guy, Win might potentially be that guy, and that's why I think that the Dodgers get that rap is because you mentioned you said who would you give well Will Smith's that guy Will Smith's kind of a superstar in my opinion he's a really good one agree. of the best catchers in baseball can hit offensively good behind the plate so that's probably the reason that people look at the Dodgers and say well that's why they get the advantage in the development is that the Cardinals haven't developed that superstar yet they thought they've had a couple Carlson the jury's still out on these guys Carlson Gorman jury's still out on those guys do you but know when they hit on that one do you know how long it took though to develop Will Smith because I so think this is an important factor as well Will Smith did not play more than 55 games in a regular season until his fifth year in the big leagues. It took him until his age 26 season to truly develop into the guy that we now know him as, which is a player that is excellent. I mean, Will Smith is an awesome, awesome hitter. He's 30% above league average. He's really solid behind the plate. He's everything they expected him to be. And then some, if we're going to do that same trajectory with, uh, Dylan Carlson, for example, or Nolan Gorman. We're talking about four years from now. What are those guys going to be? So I think that's an important part of this as well, because they have these established superstars at the big league level. Some of these players, just they, they get more time to develop at the lower levels. Jordan Walker's 21 years old. Like if he's up next year, he will be five years ahead of the Will Smith plan. So I think that's a part of this conversation, too. 
And this is not me saying like, hey, the Cardinals are here. They're coming. They're ready. It's all going to be hunky-dory. The Cardinals no. are coming. The Cardinals are coming. I am going to Boston next week. But no, that is not what I am doing. I don't get the reference. What I am saying is that I don't think that the Dodgers are as far away as it once felt. I do think that they are maybe like the number two team now in the National League. And I think where they're at currently is attainable by the Cardinals. There are a few things that the Cardinals have to do. They got to go out there and acquire some kind of a bat this offseason. I think Brandon Nimmo is the name that we're going to probably hone in on as making a lot of sense for the team. You're going to hone in. There are pros and cons to such a signing. And the other thing that they need to do, because we are having so many people that are texting, I think a fair point. Where is the Cardinals superstar that they have developed in-house? They need Jordan Walker to be good. We said this yesterday, and I still believe it to be true today. I think that the Cardinals' World Series aspirations over the next three to five years are almost entirely tied to, and this is this is a lot, but it's, I think, true, almost entirely tied to what the development curve looks like for Jordan Walker. If he's the player they project him to be, it is wide open. They got every opportunity because that is your third big bat in the order. If he's not that guy and it takes a little longer, and maybe this is unfair to the kid, but this is the expectations they've placed upon him, then I do think that it changes the way that a lot of people should and probably will view the Cardinals window of opportunity to win a World Series. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you. And I also, as I said yesterday, I would add in the Dylan Carlson's and Nolan Gorman's because if you're right with the Will Smith, that it does take some time. You probably got maybe this coming season as the is when the clock starts ticking for Dylan Carlson and you've got two or three more years of Nolan Gorman. So if Jordan Walker clicks, I think it's also impactful for this team if they want to win a World Series that Nolan Gorman and Dylan Carlson click not to be superstars, but they've gonna have to be star- they're gonna have to be stars or supplemental pieces at worst if this team wants to win a they've World Series. They've gotta be like Max Muncie, not the exact same Chris players, Taylor. but just in terms of the production, the Max Muncie's, the Justin Turner's, the Chris Taylor's, yes. those, those types of guys. But you gotta him. go get that other bat if it's not Jordan Walker. And I don't think you can rely on Jordan Walker to be that bat this whole season, which means you've gotta go get that third guy so that you could take some of the pressure off of Jordan Walker so he can gradually grow into that role. Yeah, and that's where I am too as Walker. I think he's going to be the guy that's going to get honed in on the World Series aspirations. You just have to have Carlson, Gorman, maybe someone else like a Burleson that ends up being a good supplemental piece that develops for you. He doesn't have to necessarily become the superstar, and I don't think Carlson will ever be a superstar, but I think he's a guy that can always, I've, we said this during the Juan Soto sweepstakes, he's a guy that you should project that can be good for you every single year, and I think that's what the minimum has to be for a guy like him and a guy like Gorman and a guy like Yepes. Pieces like that need to kind of hone in on being those supplemental pieces that surround your big bats, whether it be that you acquire in the offseason or Walker becomes that guy. Some news in Major League Baseball. Tonight's game between the Yankees and the Guardians has been postponed due to a forecast of bad weather. It's going to be made up tomorrow afternoon at 1.05. So uh, the next Yankees game between the Yankees and the Guardians is postponed until tomorrow. I will never understand why they scheduled this the way that they did. There was a there was an off day between games one and two for the ALDS, and then there was no off day between three and four, two and three, despite the fact that they're traveling. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And now it just became a little bit more complicated uh, for the ALDS scheduling. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Just a couple of days ahead of the Blues getting into action in the regular season. Excited to catch up with our guy, Joey Vitale. But coming up next. 
The Blues' top line appears to be a little bit of a work in progress right now. I want to get Alex's thoughts on Craig Berube's comments yesterday about Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo trying to develop some chemistry. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Reilly played with Toronto a long time here. Uh, it's a certain style of play that they have. You know, that's not going to happen with Kyrie. He's a different player. So they got to feel each other out, and, and you know, they got to give and take a little bit to make it work. That's the bottom line. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. that was Craig Berube on the fast lane yesterday. You'll hear him weekly on with the guys. Looking forward to hearing him once again each and every week throughout the NHL season. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, last year, Jordan Cairo and Ryan O'Reilly at five on five played a total of 200 minutes together, which is not nothing, but it's a long hockey game. It's not a whole lot of ice time together for what it's worth. Ryan O'Reilly without Jordan Cairo was on the ice for almost a thousand minutes. So he had a lot of ice time last year. Not a ton of it was with Jordan Cairo. How much do you, how long do you think it's going to take for those two guys who play obviously very different styles of games? How long do you think it's going to take for them to get onto the same page chemistry wise? When I've been able to ask different players, like chemistry wise, how long it takes to get there. You know, some guys will say it doesn't take very long. And then other guys will say it usually takes about a month. I, I don't, no, I've never been in that situation, but I do remember talking with Ryan O'Reilly when he first was acquired by the Blues back in 2019, and I just asked him, you know, when you come over from another team, you know, how do you find that player that works best for you? And he said, you feel it the first time you score a goal together. He's like, the first time that you connect on a pass that sets the player up, you say, okay, we got this down. And then it starts to kind of roll from there. The problem is that might take five games, that might take one period. It just is a matter of how the players mesh on the ice together and who that third contributing piece is because the third guy is going to be just as impactful as Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo, and it looks to be that's Brandon Saad. Looking at that line and hearing that quote from Craig Berube and watching them play that final preseason game, it, it just didn't look like it meshed the way that you needed to, and rightfully so. Ryan's played the last three seasons with David Perron. You know where that guy is. Jordan Kyrou plays a very different style than David Perron. Brandon Saad. Honestly, they really couldn't be a whole lot more uh, dissimilar. I mean, they're, they're, they're polar opposites, it feels like, for me, because David Perron was the guy that's going into the boards, fighting for the puck, and Jordan Kyrou's not going to do that. Jordan is going to do that Brett Hull method where it's going to be, I'm going to be wherever the puck is not, and you get it to me to score that goal. And that's how goal scorers go about their business. So it's going to put more onus on Brandon Saad to be retrieving pucks and Ryan O'Reilly to be retrieving pucks. You can't have too much patience with this, though, I feel like, because you've got to get Jordan Kyrou going immediately. If Jordan Kyrou is not a 35-goal scorer this season, this team can't win the Central Division like I thought they were. So Ryan O'Reilly, I trust him without question to get this done, but if it doesn't look like it's getting to where they need it to be, and these guys have skated together all training camp, all preseason long, if you're not getting it where you need it to be by the second week, I would probably start looking at changing things up because Jordan Cairo has had chemistry with two other guys already, Robert Thomas and Braden Shen, but then you got to go find that other winger to play with Ryan O'Reilly. 
if that ends up happening, how do you construct your lines? Like, how, how would you go about so if Kyrie them doesn't into a work with O'Reilly? Yeah, let's say you know what. After thinking this through a little bit, it's just not a great fit. I think it could be both ways, by the way, like where Ryan O'Reilly is going to always command that big time matchup, or that's what the Blues want him to be on, where he's going up against the McKinnon line. If you're going up against Edmonton, he's going to be going up against McDavid. Like he's he's drawing all the most difficult matchups that you can get in an individual game. And so that's also going to put some pressure on Jordan Cairo to step up defensively. And maybe it's just not going to be there this year. And that's fine. Like, that's not a shot against Jordan Cairo. We just know what kind of a player he is, what kind of a player he isn't. And that's going to be a tough matchup. Problem for is you got to find the chemistry with Cairo, though, because if it's not with O'Reilly, O'Reilly might not be here next year. Fair. So if it doesn't work out there, offensively, defensively, maybe a little bit of both. What do you decide to do with your line? So before I destroy the Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich line, and because nobody wants to see the Thomas Sankovich line broken up, so they keep that together. Lord. The first thing that I would do, I for, I forgot how much I didn't miss this. <sighs> yeah, you did. You know you did. The first thing I would do is I would shift Ivan Barbashev up to that top line with Ryan O'Reilly and Saad, and see if you could build some chemistry there and put Kairou down with Shannon Neighbors. So you're getting rid of the Shinshevers? Really. Hey man, leave the nicknames well, to me. Stick to your stick to your nerdy stats. I'll take the nicknames. All right. That's terrible. Shin Shevers. It sounds like a disease you get in the winter time. Uh, that's what I would do first. And if that doesn't work, then I would have to look at that Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich line to break up. And I, I think what I would try is I would put Tarasenko with O'Reilly and put Kyrou with Thomas and Buchnevich because if O'Reilly is not back next season, that would be and Vladimir might not be probably isn't going to be back. That is your number one line. Hell, you could go ahead and put O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Barbie on a line together and just say, hey, this is our line that's not going to be back next year. Wow. That uh, that cuts deep, man. But you know Am what? You're actually spot on with <laughs> I, that. I actually think Two of those three, I can guarantee, will not be back. And the other one, I'm still confident, but nobody else is. I think there's some validity to the idea that, hey, maybe we go with Shin, Neighbors, and Sod. We go Thomas Buchnevich and Kairou, and we and see what our, these two lines look like. And then our reject out. line. <laughs> yeah, then our, God. Bring the negative energy with Son that line. Of a <laughs> nutcracker, man. Why do you got to be like that? Do but, you think if they put that line together and practice, they'd look around and be like, should, should we read the room a little I can, bit? I can promise you I'm going to nickname that line the reject line because that's what it's going to be. Everyone's looking at it like, oh, every time that line would score a goal in a game, you'd be like, son of a, that guy's not going to be here next him. year. <laughs> that was another that million dollars. By the way, it could be a really good line. Like that, There's some appeal to such a line yeah, being put together. I, I think that's you got to find a guy who's going to work as hard as Ryan O'Reilly to put on the wing with him. And that's why I would look at an Ivan Barbashev. I would look at a Braden Shen. I'm not going to go to the Jake Neighbors route because I don't know if I want to put that on him. I think I want to keep Neighbors with Shen. But the problem if you put Kyrou with Shen and Neighbors is that is a lot of reliability on defensive play with two inexperienced guys. And that's what I'd be a little concerned about. In all seriousness, like setting aside the reject line idea, I think O'Reilly, Sod, and Barbie makes a lot of sense. I would also add this. If that ends up being your line, is it? I know that people get mad when you're like, hey, who's the one, two, and three lines? But they look at it that way internally. Would that be your third best line? O'Reilly, Barbashev, and Saad? Mm-hmm. If you had Shin, be Shin, example, Kyrou, Shin neighbors. Kyrou neighbors, and then you've got the Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich line, I don't think so because of Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Because Ryan O'Reilly is going to get the matchup against everybody's top line. That would definitely be your defensive line, though, right? Your shutdown line that, that you yeah, use. I think I would view that as like the second line. If I'm looking at line combinations the way that people might be, I'd say that's my second line. But they're going to be going up against the Connor McDavid's, the Nathan McKinnon's, the Tyler. Say- they're going to be going up against the other team's top lines. So. 
I, I just think that's going that proves the depth that this team truly has. But you've got to get chemistry with your, with with Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Kyrie. Ryan O'Reilly will figure it out himself, but you've got to find the right chemistry with Jordan Kyrie because if you don't, then that's going to cause turnovers and that's going to cause playing your own zone and it's going to cause him not scoring goals, which in fact is going to hurt this team because they need him to be a 35-goal scorer this season. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. But next, Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. We'll ask him about how how long it takes to develop chemistry as a line and what is he expecting from the O'Reilly and Kyrie pairing? Well, that's Joey next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He's been watching a whole lot of hockey. He's going to be on the call for Blues Hockey on Saturday night. Joey, we appreciate the time Joey, as always, man. How you doing Joey, today? Joey, Joey. <sighs> What's up, boys? Doing great. Doing a, just, just doing great. Great fall day. Went for a nice walk this morning. Uh, pumpkins are everywhere in Kirkwood. Uh, life's good, guys. Life's good. Joe, I got a question. We were texting back and forth to set up the time today, and you texted me back at 4.30 in the morning. Is this what I have to look forward to? Like, are you up at 3 a.m. with your kids? You know, I actually was uh, – I gave you a break by texting you that late. I thought, you know what? I'm not <laughs> that late, that like, late. Excuse <laughs> yeah, me? I wanted, I wanted to – yeah, I didn't listen. I, I wanted to text you back right away, but 3 o'clock I thought was a little bit early. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> – it's um it's early to bed, early to rise in, in this household. Uh, I feel like, like I said, I'm running a definitely running a some sort of a farm bed and breakfast over <laughs> here where there's just there's chores, there's work to be done at every turn. And you know what? To me, I, the only time I ever find any quiet or silence in my entire world is if if I force myself to get up uh, around that like three o'clock mark. How do you do uh, it, Joe? And, I'm exhausted you know, every time I try it. Joey, it, he it, goes to sleep at eight p.m. and, and then still, still gets up at like nine a.m. Listen, you it, you're, you're not waking up refreshed, but I'm telling you, I, it, to me, it's worth it's worth getting up at three, being tired, and then but having an hour and a half uh, of time to myself versus getting that extra hour and a half or two hours in, but then waking up into to chaos. chaos. And listen, like when you yeah. know what I mean? It's like it's like a bomb goes off. It's like boom, you wake up and it's just like it's just guns, guns are flying and bullets and trap metals everywhere and. To me, I need I need that little bit of a reset, just a little bit of a calm, uh, quiet morning, especially this time of the year. I sit on my porch, cup of coffee, and just and just do my thing. So that's like that's it. why I get up so early. And Alex, I do apologize. I will back it up to no. five a.m. No, don't <laughs> apologize, Joe. I'm trying to figure out how to accomplish that, so I don't do that. So I'm just trying to figure out how to be like Joe, to where you can get up that early and like have the day already going. I'm not trying to be well, like you, Joey. Not in that capacity. Every other capacity, definitely. But I don't want to be up at three a.m. That sounds awful. <laughs> well, it's and it's funny. I, I never used to get up so early, but it's actually when I got uh, my injury that the, the the fight that obviously ended my career um, there with Kevin Miller. He you know completely just put my face through the ringer, my head through the ringer and the whole nine yards. And, and, you know, one of the side effects of, of my injury and then all the, the medication I was on is that I became like an insomniac immediately. And I was up all night throughout my injury and my recovery, which was a hard, hard phase, obviously. But, you know, now that I've healed and moved on from all of it, but the one, the one lingering effect I would say from, from all those concussions, especially that last one I had is that I just, I, I've been up all night. So really it started, it started on the injury and that's, 
And that's kind of where I turned to bread and did some hobbies in the middle of the night that was quiet. And then, and obviously now um, it's still one of those things that I just don't sleep all that well. But at the end of the day, you know, when you have five kids, you kind of need to get up early anyway. So it's kind of worked out for my benefit. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Joey, I wanted to ask you about a quote that Craig Berube gave to the fast lane yesterday. I'll play this for you, and then we can react to it on the other side. O'Reilly played with Perron a long time here. Uh, it's a certain style of play that they have. You know, that's not going to happen with Kyrie. He's a different player. So they got to feel each other out, and, and you know, they got to give and take a little bit to make it work. That's the bottom line. Joey, how long do you think it takes to develop that kind of chemistry? Because as he mentioned there, Ryan O'Reilly played a very specific style, a very specific game with David Perron for a number of years, and it worked to, to a high level here in St. Louis. How long do you, do you think it'll take for him and Kairou to get on the same page and to develop a, a similar kind of chemistry? I don't think it's going to take very long, and I think the reason why is because because you're just looking at a player like Ryan O'Reilly, who mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I mean, physically, every, he's got every attribute that, that you need to have for a player that has to adjust um, the spur of the moment. You know, Ryan, I, I go back to a conversation I had with him right after the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And I asked him, you know, heading into, you know, the 2020 season, you know, how, how are you guys going to mimic what you did last year? How, how are you going to do that and then bring it up another level? Uh, as far as, you know, every, everything about him, everything about the team. And, you know, we had a great conversation about it. And it kind of, to, to give you an idea uh, how Ryan's mind works, you know, he, he said, well, if we played the exact same way we did last year, we're, we're going we're gonna to be beat. This, this, this league, um, nowadays, you have to always be adjusting, right? He talked about how last year, you know, it just wasn't unfolding, right? It, just, it wasn't really even a dream come true, he said. It was more of just like an unfolding of events. And it's an interesting, interesting way to think about it. But, he, but you know, moving into that next season, it wasn't necessarily just about the forecheck and hard-hitting and smash-mouth. And, and quite frankly, it's going to be very hard to sustain that type of hockey throughout the whole season. So he talked about how, having to continually be adjusting, uh, improvising, and, and moving, moving forward from there. So that's, that's how he thinks uh, on a day-in and day-out basis, year-in, year-out basis. So to me, and the reason I bring this up is because this situation is no different for Ryan. I mean, he he can't get stuck in his way of how he played with David Perron. Even if David Perron was still here, he would continually be looking for different ways to improve. But now this is going to be a challenge for him, and I think he's up for the challenge where uh, his game is going to have to adjust around Cairo, right? I don't. I think it's less about. Kairou adjusting to O'Reilly and more about O'Reilly adjusting to Kairou, if that makes any sense at all. I think, I think Ryan understands the skill set of Kairou, his speed, um, his quickness, his ability to, to slice through defenders. I mean, he, he to me is like, an, he's got a lot of Evgeny Malkin in him where he can like slice through guys like butter. And I think that that's one of Kairou's big best attributes and his ability to get his, his shot off with, with sticks in his way is, is incredible. So these are all the gifts that Kairou has. Now, Ryan's a smart guy. He's saying, okay, well, this, this, obviously this monster, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to feed this guy. So I, I need to adjust my game around what he's going to do. And, and it's funny because a lot of times you see young players join veterans and the young guys are like, what do I got to do to adjust for this veteran? But I actually, quite frankly, I think it's going to be the opposite. I think it's going to be Ryan looking at Kairou, figuring out what he does great, 
um, learning alongside of him and then adjusting his game accordingly. Joe, I think a lot of Blues fans, when when they hear Craig Berube coach team, they think of the physical play, and I think that's what fans are hoping for, that they're going to get on the fourth line now with more uh, consistency. But do you believe that there's going to be more skill in this team offensively this season than what we've seen in years past? You know, I think that I do now based off of what happened last year, you know, because because Thomas and Cairo up until the beginning, I mean, this time last year, we, we, sh- we still weren't really quite sure what we had in Cairo. We, we felt it coming with Thomas, but because of the breakout seasons that they had last year, I think that now we know for, for certain this is, this is one of the best-looking uh, four death, death groups that we've seen in a very long time. You know, I said it, you know, kind of my hot take with you, Alex, on our fourth period post game, you know, last week was I think Robert Thomas has every ability to get 100 points this year, especially mm-hmm. playing alongside of Tarasenko and, and Pavel Buchnevich, assuming health. I think that he, he can get to 100 points. You know, Craig Berube has, like Ryan O'Reilly, it's, it's funny, two of, them, two of them remind me so much of each other. You want to talk about just adjustment, um, adjusting year in, year out. You're right. Um, when he came on, on the scenes, he, he needed to instill confidence. He needed to instill a work, a work ethic back into this group. He did that. It worked. They win a cup. And, and it seems like every year that has followed, uh, I would say that Craig has given up more and more power each and every year. And I think that I say that in the best way where I think that you have so many coaches in this league now that they're like that, that just absolute dictatorship type of coach, just in your face, rah, 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 yelling, screaming. And, and Craig's actually, I think he's, he's going the other way where you hear the assistant coaches talk about it all the time. Jim Montgomery, Steve Ott was that, you know, Craig's improved as a coach because he's pushed off responsibilities to the, to the guys around him. I mean, he's, he's completely given Craig McTavish the, the, the green light and, and the long rope and the long leash to, to take this penalty kill and, and to get it back to where it was last year. And, and he's kind of hands off and he's going to you know put obviously his input in here and there, but for the most part, he lets these guys have it. So I think from your question about how he continues to adjust with the skill level, I think he's looking at this group of what it is. And, and this group is not to me a smash mouth team. Um, it hasn't been for a couple of years. I think that he knows that and he's smart enough to recognize that and say, you know what? I love to play smash ball hockey, but if I don't have the soldiers to do it, then, you know, what's really going to happen is we're not going to make the playoffs and lose my job. I have to, I have to look at the pieces that I have here and I have to adjust my style to the players that we have. And I think that's what he's so good about. He's not stuck in his old ways. He's not stubborn. He's continually wanting to adjust. He loves to get feedback. And at the end of the day, um, I, I recognize this with Craig more than more than any team I played for or, or any team that I really hear about. He he is this 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 is their team. Like you know, this is he talks to O'Reilly, he talks to Shen, and but this is all about them. And and he he is such a good coach about um, allowing the the leadership of the veterans. You know, you know, have input on days off and, and practice plans and, and, and situations during games. And but essentially, he he's done a very good job of of giving up power to assistant coaches and giving up power to these players where essentially you're giving the power to them. And at the end of the day, it's 13. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. I can't wait to hear you on the call for the first game of the blue season. That's coming up on Saturday night blues versus blue jackets. People will hear that right here on one one ESPN with pregame starting at six o'clock featuring you and Alex Ferrario. Appreciate the time as always we'll talk with you again next week.
You got it, fellas. You guys have a great week. We'll talk to you then. See you, you got it. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, Blues versus Blue Jackets. The battle for the blue. The battle for the blue, T-Bone. That's coming up on Saturday night Who will main, six Who o'clock. will remain supreme? That's terrible. Who will stay Navy? They're more of a royal blue, not navy blue. Coming up in 15 minutes. No, both of them are royal blue. Where does catcher lie on the Cardinals offseason wish list? Is it at the top of the board? We'll talk about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Ben Heisler at 12:15. But coming up next, 65780 Zier Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes or so, where does catcher rank among the Cardinals offseason wish list? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But right now, let's get into questions and answers. 65780 is the error comfort service text line from the 980. Guys, if Adam Wainwright is going to cost $17 million only for him to decline at the end of the year, and you had to choose, would you rather A, bring back Waino at a similar price, or B, have Wilson Contreras as your catcher. If you had to choose between one or the other, which would you so rather say that have? again? So Wayno, Wayno versus Contreras. I for start out here. I do not think that's going to be yeah the decision. But you're I doing it money that, wise because Contreras is going to be a multi-year deal. Wayno's going to be a one-year deal. So they're kind of different in terms of the tracks. But if we're just talking about for next year's budget, I can understand why this would be a question. What would you rather have? I think I would lean towards Contreras because I need a really good catcher. And I know people push back on Contreras being a good catcher. I know defensively he's a little bit skeptical and uh, doesn't manage the pitching staff. Well, at least that's the narrative around him. But you're accomplishing two things there. You're getting a number one catcher who's still, in my opinion, very good defensively. But you're also adding him as a third bat, impact bat into your lineup. So as much as I love Wayno, I'm a little worried that... What we saw at the end of the season happens again, and then that's a massive blow to your team, and I would hope that you would go out there and try and find somebody else for your rotation, but I think your rotation's in a good spot. I would go get uh, Contreras. I would probably say take Wayno just because I'm not sure how Contreras is going to do with handling the pitching staff, and that's a big thing for me is that I, I want to catch that I feel comfortable is going to be a guy that can really guide a pitching staff through a game like Yachty did. And that's why I want more of a defensive-minded catcher, not so much the offensive side. Look, Contreras' bat's great, but if he can't, everything that we've seen and heard is that he's not good at handling a pitching staff. That's a that's a big negative. That that's a really big negative. So I would say I would take Adam Wainwright. I think I would go Contreras just because I think there are other options at pitcher that I starting pitcher that I could go out there and acquire. The the tough part is like it's not just that. It's also all of the emotional side of things that. That will and should, frankly, be brought into the discussion with Wayno. Like, if Wayno wants to play next year, it's really hard for the Cardinals to just say no. And I do understand that because, like, you watched this year. Look at the type of response that you got from the fans with Albert and Yachty having their final season here in St. Louis. You could have that next year for Wayno, and that would be a, a really cool thing. I do have some questions, though, and it's let. It's kind of two-sided here. If you bring back Adam Wainwright, your rotation is set probably. And I 
I think that it's a fine rotation. I don't think that it's there's a problem with it. I think that your rotation next year, frankly, could be pretty similar to what the Dodgers rotation was this year in L.A., and that amounted to them winning 110 games. So it's not necessarily a problem. I still don't think you have a legit number one, though, unless Shaq Flaherty is, is right physically. And that's just so up in the air right now that I would give serious consideration to, hey, what does it look like if Wayno wasn't back next year and we were able to bring in that number one starter? I think that's something that should be under consideration. It's just really hard to do because of the emotional side of things that are attached I to just, all of this. I, I just every time we sit here and talk offseason, I'm not as worried about the pitching as I am. They, they need another bat. I get it. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Guys, what do you think are realistic expectations for Brandon Saad this year with the Blues? Um, If he stays healthy and sticks with Ryan O'Reilly and plays the power play, I think you're probably looking at 25 goals and 50 plus points. I think it's I think we know exactly what Brandon said every season. It's going to be 25 goals. He's going to be right around 50 points. And you're going to leave the season saying he was pretty good for you. I think you might be able to (laughs) push. That's Brandon's on. I think you might be able to push 60 points from him just if he's playing on the power play for you. Sure. That's where I think it gets a little bit better. I don't know if he gets to the 31 goals that he scored with the Columbus Blue Jackets. For what it's worth, his career high in points is 53. Yeah. Do you think he sets a new career high this year? I think so. Because I think I think if he sticks with Ryan O'Reilly and if you get the skill that Joey was talking about with Jordan Cairo playing on that line, I think you're talking about more assists for him and you're talking about 25 plus goals. So, yeah, I think you're going to see 55 plus points this season. Yeah, I don't know if Albaye gets the career high. I think he'll be about where he was last year. I, I think that's where, I, as you said, you know what Brandon Sod is. I'm not going to buy into him having that career year. I think we asked Kerber, who's a guy that could see you could see having a career year uh, yesterday. I think he said, Shen, I, I'm not sure I would go with Brandon Saad. I, I just can't see him being much better than what he was last year. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line uh, from the 314. Guys, any changes on your expectations for Nolan Arenado? Do you still think that he will stay with the Cardinals? Yep, 100%. He's not going anywhere. Can we just stop with the, oh, is he going to leave for L.A.? He's going to be a Cardinal They could guy. use a third baseman. Though. He's going to be a Cardinal They really guy. could. Everybody calm down. He's going to be a Cardinal. They could use a third baseman. Here, here, the only way he's not a Cardinal is if the Cardinals say we don't want you. Could happen. If that what? happens, I will destroy this Cardinals organization. What? Oh, my God. No. They're moving Goldie and Arenado. Uh, Get him out of here. 65780 is the air. Blow it up. <laughs> the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, if Jordan Walker reaches his full potential, who do you think a current good major league player would be as a comparison for what that would look like for him? Um, I've got one that you're not going to like the current version of him. I, but say, I got one that's not a current version, but I'll, I'll hear yours first. Uh, I think Christian Yelich has some similarities. Oh, like the, the previous version. Oh, of okay. Christian MVP Yelich. version, not this one. Yeah, the okay. guy that hit for a high average, got on base at a high clip, had the power potential early in his career, but never really got all the way there. And then by the time he got to Milwaukee, finally realized that potential. I think that's probably what you're hoping for. And by the way, he was a guy that consistently stole 15 to 25 bases. So based on all of the scouting reports, something like that, I think is within the range of outcomes yeah, that's I, probably towards the ceiling i don't know if he, he's not a current player but the one that comes to mind every time i've seen videos of him bat and i think i saw somebody reference this too Derek lee that's the one i was oh, thinking interesting of. 30 
plus and I'm thinking like Chicago Cubs version of yeah. Derek Lee where he's hitting 35 plus bombs he's getting close to 90 home runs you're going to get more stolen bases from Walker than you did with Derek Lee but he's there the one that comes period, to mind he was 15 to 20 stolen bases yeah I guess that's true every time I watch Jordan Walker take swings he looks like what Derek Lee looked like with the Cubs that's Derek who Lee was a hell of a baseball player yeah. that's who I saw the video of it was a side by side that I saw oh, and I was, was trying there to figure a video out. yeah okay. that was side by side of Derek Lee and it looked very similar yeah, watch his could, swing man if he could be like him oh, that's I mean, Lee got robbed of some MVPs by Albert Pujols. So, like, that would live up to the expectation. If he could be like Derek Lee or Christian Yelich, I think that fits in perfectly as to what the Cardinals are hoping he can be. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Coming up at about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Ben Heisler. He's the managing editor over at Petside, and he's going to help Tanner this week huh. with his picks after Tanner just failed last week miserably in our Pick'em Challenge. Ugly. So we'll get to Ben Heisler coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, we mentioned catcher in this segment. Where does that stand on the Cardinals' wish list this offseason? Is it at or near the top of the list? And could there be a trade that would pique their interest? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yachty's impact on the team is massive. For him not to be there at all and he's done, they're going to have to get a, a bona fide leader and someone who can become an offensive force in some way in the bottom third of their batting order. So I think getting a catcher is imperative for the Cardinals. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Amsinger on with the morning show earlier today. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. Guys, I think if you're looking at the Cardinals offseason wish list, for me, it's four position. It's an outfielder, a shortstop, a catcher, and a starting pitcher. Those are the things that immediately come to the forefront of my mind when I think of what do the Cardinals need going into the offseason. For you, Alex, where does catcher rank on that list? If you were breaking it down, those are the four things. I think we're all in agreement that you probably need something in all four of those areas, depending on what happens with Wayno. Outfield, shortstop, catcher, starting pitcher. Where does catcher rank for you? Probably, God, probably second. Outfield is number one for me, and shortstop would be number three, and starting pitcher would be four. And I've I've been the guy that's saying go get one of the big shortstop names, but the only reason I have that at three is I think you could get by if you put Tommy Edmond at shortstop and put Brendan Donovan at second base and sign a utility infielder to play there for you if you get the bat in the outfield. I think the dire position for you is the outfield because – Right now, it's just it's like Scrabble out there. You're trying to figure out what any of these tiles spell words. Have you ever played Scrabble, Timo? You've I played have. Scrabble. I suck at that. You look like you're great at spelling. He looks like a words with friends, guys. You look like it. You get the theirs wrong there in that game. Oh, too. gosh. And the twos. Hey, they yeah. all count. Yeah. No, they don't. No, they don't. There's no apostrophes in Scrabble, man. Well, he tries it. On your box. <laughs> he creates his own Scrabble tile. Where'd anyway, you get that tile from? outfield is number one, but number two, I think, is the catcher position because I do agree with what Tanner said earlier. You've got to get somebody who can manage that pitching staff, and I know I like Wilson Contreras, but you got to get somebody who can work with those pitchers on a consistent basis rather than a revolving door of Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera. Yeah, I think I would put it at number two as well. I, I think outfield is definitely the number one priority for this team. I think they need... Someone that can just be an everyday outfielder for them. But number two, I do think is a catcher because Herrera is. De- I don't think he's ready. He didn't look ready when he got called up, and I don't think that's going to magically change over the off season. You never know. You never know. But I would be stunned if it does. 
Uh, Kisner's fine. Like Kisner's a good solid backup. He's a solid backup catcher that you could have on your team, and he's worked well with Michaelis, so he could be Michaelis's personal catcher next season. But you need somebody that can get in there, then can, ha- can learn the pitching staff and have a pretty good command of that pitching staff and be decent at the plate. They they can't be just dead weight when they go up to bat. They need to be someone that can hit like two twenty, has a little bit of pop in the bat. You hit them in like the eight hole like you did with the Yachty this past year and hope you find a little bit of magic every now and then in, with their bat. But most importantly, I just want someone that's good defensively, can control the pitching staff, and I'm not taking such a massive drop-off when it comes to the commanding of the pitching staff going from Yachty or Molina to just like Wilson Contreras, for example. Everything I hear about him is he's terrible with the pitching staff. I don't think you should have that big a drop-off. There's going to be a drop-off, no doubt about it, with Yadier Molina. It just can't be so uh, insurmountable to where it's going to be a massive loss for this team. Is it really that bad with Wilson Contreras? The guy won a World Series. Yeah, but... I I don't know, because... And he's good at throwing runners out. We've seen that. He's not very good defensively in general. He's got a good arm... I think his future is probably as a DH. When I was listening to Buster Olney around the trade deadline and he was breaking down why other teams didn't trade for Wilson Contreras, he basically said what Tanner just mentioned there, which is other teams didn't trust him. They didn't think that he could come in with such a short period of time at the end of the season, learn the learn the pitching staff, learn what works, what doesn't with those guys, and be able to control that staff. They, they didn't trust that he was going to be good enough to be able to do that. So my answer to you is just, I, I don't know. The, the people within Major League Baseball don't seem to trust him. But God, is that bat good? And if he can just be adequate defensively, I, I think I'd be willing to give it a try. The problem is giving it a try in this instance might mean a four-year contract worth like 75-plus million dollars. And that's more than just a try. That's a big bet that you're placing on a guy to be able to do it defensively, especially in an offseason where guys... The catchers that are available all fit into the criteria that Tanner just laid out. None of them are going to get you excited. I want to say that on the front end. None of these guys you're going to look at. Oh, Tucker's not exciting. None of them you're going to look at and say to yourself, oh, the Cardinals catcher spot is fixed. However, Yadier Molina, like we're being totally honest, just look at the numbers on the baseball reference page. He shouldn't have gotten you excited about what he was doing offensively either. So these guys can give you at least some of what Yadi did defensively, and they'll probably all be better than what Yadi was in the last couple of years offensively. So the guys that I'm talking about here are like Tucker Barnhart or Martin Maldonado or Omar Narvaez, Christian Vasquez, Mike Zanino, if he's going to be healthy going into next year. He had that thoracic outlet syndrome uh, surgery. That's good. Uh, All of those guys are fine. There's like five or six different catchers that you could go out into the market and they could give you roughly the equivalent of what Yachty was for you, at least on the field. Off of the field, obviously, there's a lot of leadership and stuff that you can't quantify that will be very difficult to replace. But I think I'm with you guys. You have to sign a catcher this offseason. And so for that reason, I'm putting it at or near the top of my list. But the strange thing is, I don't view the need for like a significant upgrade at catcher the same way that I do in the outfield or that I would like to see as a number one starter. I think all you need to do is just fill the hole. You got to get somebody that is adequate at that spot. Whereas if you could go into the shortstop market, I'm fine with Jose Iglesias. If you could go get one of those studs, I would love it. I'm fine with a guy like uh, Andrew McCutcheon in the outfield. If you could go get Brandon Nimmo or an Aaron Judge, here for that too. Aaron Judge? I mean, it's not going to happen, but just as a... Why did you get me excited for that, man? Damn, I thought we were getting Mike Trout. I I think I'm kind of out on the Wilson Contreras thing. I wouldn't be mad if they signed him, but if it's a one-year deal, totally in. Here for that. If it's a long-term deal, I'm not sure that I'm here for it, honestly. I'm not out on it because I think it's a significant upgrade for your offense. 
And that's why that that's what I'm looking at more than anything. Like I understand defense. You Does got your it. offense get better if you sign Wilson Contreras or Brandon Nimmo? I think your offense because that's really the conversation as opposed to Contreras versus one of these other catchers. I think your offense gets better with Wilson Contreras. I think you've got more pop there, and I think you got a guy who hits for OPS and Brandon Nimmo's that guy also. But the injury thing scares me. Brandon Nimmo's a lot like what you already have on your team. You got a lot of guys who hit for contact and get on base. I Do need you? Some- I mean, I think you do. I think you, well, obviously not in the I postseason. You, I think if you get like Nemo and Iglesias, like that lineup isn't going to be like a whole lot of power like we thought it was going to be this year. Like this year, how many times were we like, well, that guy hitting 21 home runs? Yeah, sign me up. I think he will. And then it didn't happen. I think next year, if you go in with a team with Nemo and Iglesias and I'll just say Tucker Barnhart's the catcher. To me, there's not a whole lot of pop in that lineup. I don't think you're, you're winning with on, that lineup. You're banking on Gorman to reach his power potential, Carlson to get back to his power potential. Walker. Walker, yeah, but I don't think he'll be up till halfway through the year. That's why I didn't mention his name. But uh, I, I think that is more of a contact-driven lineup than it is a power lineup. That's why, like, to is his point on Contreras. I don't think this team hits for contact. I think this team hits for power. Oh, I don't think this team would be built for power if you did what I'm No, I'm about. saying like the mindset from the hitting coach and the managerial staff is hitting for damage. power. Yeah, they they mentioned that they they want yeah. they want intent behind their swings and that was one of the yeah. things that they did with uh Corey and Dickerson. I don't think those year, guys example. are intent behind their swing. I think I mean, you're getting more with Contreras. T- to be fair though, if you look at Brandon Nimmo and what he did this year, he did hit 16 home runs. And he hit 30 doubles and seven triples. He's got like yep. Carlson-esque numbers. Of what Wilson Contreras consistently is getting 20 home runs a season. He's also playing at Wrigley, which plays into those numbers a little bit. Um, but I like you're right. He does have more power. I, I think what I'm looking for is just a really good hitter. And I'm not really sure I care how he goes about it. If that means that I've got a guy that's going to hit 35 home runs, like if if Kyle Schwarber was available this offseason, he's not. But if he were available this offseason and there, you could go that. out and acquire him, like I'm in. That sounds great because he has a specific thing that he is great at. I just want to do that brings a trump card to this lineup. And with Brandon Nimmo, the dude gets on base nearly 40% of the time and he hits for enough power that it makes it worth your while. With Jose Iglesias, that guy hits almost 300 every single year. And he hits no power whatsoever. But if I could just stick Jose Iglesias in the nine hole and I feel good about it, I'm fine with that. No issues whatsoever. So one day you'll have Iglesias and Donovan in your lineup. The next day you have Edmund and Donovan. And then it becomes Iglesias and Edmund. Like you you can mix and match your middle infield. And I think that would make it probably okay. That's why I want one of those shortstop. That's why that bat is probably like number one on my priority list. And I know I put shortstop third, but the bat is number one on my priority list. And that's why I I just want to get a a dude who's in my lineup every single day like Goldschmidt and Arenado. Look at the teams that are winning right now. They've got their three or four guys that are in the lineup every single day. That's what I think you're desperate for. And Wilson Contreras answers that for me. And I to, and I agree with that. And I'm, and I'm back to your point on the outfield looking for just a s- stabilizer out there. That's why I think Nimmo is the perfect guy because he's a stabilizer in the outfield. He adds a little bit more certainty to what you have in the outfield. And I think with the catcher position, you can get away with a two-man tandem of f- insert free agent not named Contreras that's defensive-minded and also Andrew Kisner. I mean, they basically did that this year. I mean, you mentioned Yachty's offensive numbers. Didn't really hit for a whole lot in terms of when you looked at his numbers. He got hot in September, and that was about it. So you basically had – it'd be basically doing the same thing again, except I'm going with a just younger, defensively-minded catcher in place of Yadier Molina, and I'm shifting my focus towards the outfield to add more certainty in a guy that like Brandon Nimmo has got a little bit of power and gets on base at a high clip. You know who I can't get out of my mind as we're having all of these conversations? Because it feels like what we're all talking about here is Andrew Bogarts. 
Like Xander Bogarts brings that everything one. that we're talking about to the table. He's a little bit older. He's going to be 30 years old next year. So you're giving him probably a five or a six year deal going into his age 30 season, which is always risky, but he's an unbelievable hitter, man. I mean, he, what did he hit this year? 315, something like that on the, on the Bogarts? season. Yeah. And he's a playoff performer like that, which I think that's impactful for the me. The tough too. part is, is he going to get $30 million per year? Cause if he is, you're not signing him. Okay. But if he ends up being the guy because he's 30 years old, and because he isn't the 27-year-old shortstop like you see some of these other guys that are hitting the market, does he end up maybe falling through the cracks a little bit in an offseason where there are fewer teams that are seeking out that answer at the shortstop position? And he might not be a long-term answer at shortstop, which for the Cardinals might be a good thing because they've got uh, Mason Wynn coming up and maybe you could move him over to a DH one day and then a second baseman the next. I think Xander Bogarts might actually fit into these conversations as well, because if you're telling me, hey, you can have Brandon Nimmo on a four year deal worth $20 million per year, or you can have Xander Bogarts at six years and $26 million per year. I would go Xander Bogarts. I'm going Xander Bogarts because he's a better player and he's a guy that I can trust to be out there almost every single day. Whereas with Nimmo, there are those injury questions. So it, it, it's, it is a really interesting offseason because I think all of these positions, outfield, shortstop, catcher, and starting pitcher, you have to get somebody for all of them. And I think you can only get a big name for one of them. And that's where it gets really interesting. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, should he stay or should he go Cardinals offseason edition? But next, Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. There are some Thursday night football games that are just better probably not to watch. You should listen to it right here on 101 ESPN. Commanders versus the Bears. Pre-game coverage starting tonight at 6.30. Right now, we're breaking it all down with Ben Heisler via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He's the managing editor for BetSided. Heist, we appreciate the time as always, man. Are you going to be betting on this game tonight? I mean, I'm a Bears fan, and hmm. I wouldn't watch this game unless I bet the game. <laughs> so I think that should answer your question. It's ooh, it's going to be a, a, a big old bunch of crap fest, especially in the second half. Heist, this game is going to be so bad. I'm like trying to decide if I just want to put one of the Commanders or Bears players in my fantasy football lineup, so it gives me nope. an incentive to watch don't, the don't game. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, I, if you're if you're trying to lose your fantasy season, <laughs> well, then I think it's a great idea. Well, like if you're in one BK. of those leagues where, well, I was gonna say there's there are leagues like where you put together like the worst possible roster and you try and get the least amount of points. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's okay. the league that you're trying for. Maybe you're just trying to prepare for it ahead of time. But I, I wouldn't do that. Maybe, you might be able to play either of these two teams' defenses, and by either of these two teams, I'd probably say Chicago because they've actually been a very good second half defense. In fact, top five in the NFL as far as second-half point differential. Um, and they're taking the football away, too. So I, that might actually be the angle here, is, is kind of wait on this one for a little bit. Uh, the Bears have actually been pretty good at making second-half adjustments. So I'm not saying it's going to be a fun game to watch, but if you're looking to wager on it and you see the Bears look terrible in the first half, uh, more often than not, they've come out looking much better with some second-half uh, game adjustments. Well, well I thought just to play the kickers in this one because they're going to be the MVPs of both sides. Now, that could also be the case too, although I think the the win might. Uh, it's in Chicago. I'm not playing any kickers in oh, this game. There's no doinks in Chicago. Come on, guys. 
the field wow. is a disaster. All right, so, 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 so I, I, I come on the show, you, you bring up the, the blatant disrespect to my favorite team, you bring up the double doink, like, we're, we're just off to a rip Oh, hey, sorry. your team more than we do, <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was just one doink, Heis. I didn't know it was a double doink. Uh, no, you didn't watch the game. <laughs> exactly. You're right. You don't watch the games. Hey, guys, there are some actual, real, like, compelling football games this weekend as well. Yeah. Like, you don't have to, we don't have to just focus on the bad one. Let's talk a little bit about the Chiefs Bills game. Over yeah. under set at 53. Bills are a two and a half point road favorite in Kansas City. It is the first time, based on what I was able to look up, that Patrick Mahomes has been a home underdog. What are you anticipating in this game between the Bills and the Chiefs? I was fascinated by where this line first opened and then conversely where the line has since moved to. So, just for a little bit of context here, you mentioned the Mahomes stat. Uh, never been an underdog at home, I believe, in 41 career starts. Now, the Chiefs have been underdogs at home in the Patrick Mahomes era, but three of those games have either been started by Matt Moore or Chat Hennies. Take that in consideration. Mahomes as an underdog in his career is 7-0-1 against the spread. So in any of those situations, he has covered for you. He's not lost you money. So with all of that being uh, understood i reached out to a couple sportsbook directors this week wrote an article about it over at betside to say hey you know the, the trend's kind of back mahomes here and the most recent game uh, chiefs were able to come back like they're not scared of buffalo and it's at home what's with the line move and and two of them said uh we moved it for a variety of reasons one book in particular said we got sharp money coming in heavy on buffalo we had to move the number moved it up to three got a little bit back on the Kansas City side, which moved it back to two and a half. And the other book just basically said, we haven't gotten the sharp money in yet, but we're moving it because we anticipate a lot of sharp money coming in. So we just want to be ahead of it before we really take a, a potential bath here. So what that should tell you is that the sports books are very much on the side of, of Buffalo. They anticipate this being a win for Buffalo. And what I also find fascinating about this game is that Buffalo has not been a good team over the last two years in one possession game. They're one in seven in the last two years in single possession games. When they beat you, they beat the hell out of you as evidence last week against Pittsburgh, their margin of victory in the last two years um, is nearly double the, the 49ers and the Eagles this year. And uh, I think they ended up winning last year in margin of victory by about three whole points through the final portion of the season over Dallas. So if you're anticipating the chiefs, to keep it close, you might as well bet them on the money line because of Buffalo's history. However, if you think Buffalo ends up winning this game by any margin, you should probably just bet them at minus two and a half before the number goes to three. Heist, the, the one game that I'm drawn to is Sunday night between the Cowboys and Eagles. And I bet on the Cowboys last week to cover their plus five and a half against the Rams because that defense is so good. And I understand Philly's at home. I understand they're undefeated still. But plus six and a half for how good this Cowboys defense has played, that is something that I feel like I want to pounce on. Yeah, the the, the only issue is that this line opened up at four and a half, and Sharks have pounded the the Eagles all the way up to six and a half. I'm with you. Like At some point, you look at the Cowboys defense and say to yourself, like, at at what point does this number get too high for me to not consider this good of a defense? Um, But I also think this is by far and away the biggest challenge that the Cowboys have likely faced this year. I know that the Rams won the Super Bowl, last year and going on the road in LA certainly presents a challenge, but not with the way the Rams are performing right now, not with the this current injuries to their offensive line, just set up very badly for Matthew Stafford. So I, I think if this line even goes up to seven, then I'll, I'll probably 
I'll probably have to take the number for Dallas, but uh, just based on all the the sharps going in on the side of Philadelphia and going on them almost handedly, I I think that the Eagles side is the right side. Now, what's nice about the number being at six and a half, you can take this game and you can tease it. So let's say you want to tease the Eagles from six and a half. You can make them basically they have to win by 0.5 points. Take the Packers, their seven-point home uh, favorites against the Jets. You can tease those two games. You can even tease it with the Chiefs at plus two and a half, move it past those key numbers of three and seven. So now you can take the, the best game of the afternoon slate, get the Chiefs at plus eight and a half, take the Eagles at basically a pick them, and now all of a sudden you have much more favorable lines to be able to do better. I like that bet. I might put that in my <laughs> FanDuel account. Uh, Heiss, another game that is interesting in terms of the line movement, as you've been uh, discussing here. Uh, do I have this right? The Jags-Colts game went from a seven-point underdog for the Jags on the road to now being a one-and-a-half-point underdog. And if so, what do we do with that kind of line movement ahead of a game day? So that was the the original look-ahead line okay. when sportsbooks released this like way, way several months out when the Colts were going to be the runaway favorite in the AFC South, the Jags were projected to win, you know, six and a half games. Obviously it's, it's changed drastically. Now this line did open up uh, at Colts minus one. Uh, and it's since gone up to either minus two and a half. Uh, some books still even have it at minus one and a half. There, there's been a little bit of late. That's movement where FanDuel going has back. it right now. Yes. So that's where FanDuel has it right now. There's been a little bit of late movement on Jacksonville. I, I'm betting the Colts. I, I took the money line at the beginning of the week at a pretty good price, uh, and that's gone up just a tad. Um, I prefer money line this week for Indianapolis as opposed to the spread, and, and here's why. Um, Frank Reich, weeks one through five over the course of, of a pretty decent sample and all throughout his coaching career in Indianapolis, uh, hits at about 40 to 44% uh, in just straight up weeks one through five, and he's had a different quarterback in every season that he's been the head coach. But for whatever reason, week six and beyond, they, they start to figure things out, both offensively and defensively, where he's hit in 64% of those games. So the Colts are coming off of a long week, got that lucky win on the road against Denver. You can certainly look at a lot of the, the advanced numbers and say, all right, from a DVOA perspective, the Colts are dead last in the NFL. There's no reason to believe in them. There's no reason to take them as a home, as a home favorite here. But history also tells you that they are going to figure it out. And the other thing that I noticed about the Colts is that their defense has actually been surprisingly good. They're the only team in the NFL that has not allowed a point in the fourth quarter through five games this year. So if you're a little bit concerned about how this game's going to look and maybe you want to back the Colts late live, I suppose that there's a potential option there because of how good their defense has been late. But I do think that they're the right side here on the money line at home against Jacksonville in a game that they absolutely need to win. Heist, we'll get you out of here on this. We got about 30 seconds here. Ravens, Giants. Oh. Ravens are a five and a half point road favorite in New York. What do you got in this one? I'd probably lean Ravens just because the Giants are coming back from London. Uh, a lot of the, the trends over recent history suggest that the teams coming back without a buy from the London game tend to struggle. Daniel Jones has not been good against the spread at home. Um, and Baltimore has already won both of their games on the road this year before that Sunday night victory against Cincinnati. I, five and a half is a weird number, uh, but I like it better than six. So I'll probably take the Ravens before that number ends up going up wherever your sports book may be. His name is Ben Heisler. You can find him over at BetSided where he's the managing editor. You can also follow him on Twitter and you should be doing so at Benny Heis, B-E-N-N-Y-H-E-I-S. Heis, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself this weekend. We'll talk with you again soon. 
Anytime, fellas. Be good. See you got it. That has been Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. I want no part of that game. I will tell the you Ravens guys Giants? right now. Oh, yeah. I'm the same way. I, I've bet on the Ravens the last two weeks, and they have either pushed or lost for me, so I am done with the Ravens. I like, think I the was, Ravens win. Like, I'm pretty confident that the Ravens I don't find know, a way though, to win man. that game. The Giants stink. I, I know they're 4-1, but that is not a good football team. But that off, the offense stinks, but that defense does such a good job. And against a Ravens defense that can't seem to stop anything, I'm not so sure. Look what they did against a Cincinnati defense that was really good. It's a good point. I I just I, I believe have... that the Ravens are are a decent amount better Oof. than the Giants. I don't like that they're on the road, and the five and a half points is what really kills me. If that was a three to three and a half point line, I love the Ravens. Five and a half, I got some questions. My, I think it's going to be a close game. My lock this week, if I were to pick one, is totally the Cowboys where it stands right now against the Eagles. I think that defense has been so good, and Micah Parsons, if he's healthy, they'll keep him within six my points. My concern is that the Eagles have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and the Cowboys' formula to win right now is with their pass rush. If that is negated by the offensive line from Philly, what do the Cowboys do to win that game? Because I don't think their offense can win, can like, I don't think the offense can be the reason why they beat the Eagles. But I don't think Jalen Hurts has a great defensive line as well. I don't think Jalen Hurts is as much of a weapon as his run game usually is against that team who can stack the box with uh, um, the linebacker. Van, Van Der Esch, Parsons, Barr, and then you got Lawrence in there also. I'm with you there. I I think I lean towards the Cowboys one too just because of the defense. I, I agree with you. I think they can shut down Philadelphia enough. Now the Parsons one will be... I haven't it's checked to see what his, I don't know what his injury status is. He was practicing is. yesterday. He was carrying saying, like a weight thing I with mean, a parachute on his back. He supposedly had a quote-unquote groin injury, and uh, he still killed the Rams. So, like, I'm not sure Parsons <laughs> Only was played really third downs and was still so dominant. Yeah, so I, I think that defense can slow down Philadelphia enough. And look, I know this isn't, like, great betting advice, but, I mean, they're due for a loss. Right? Oh, yeah. so. I'm never Coming doing the due factor. 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk That's how you win 0-3. We're going to play a game of should he stay or should he go? Cardinals edition this offseason. We'll tell you what it means next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? You only get one, man. You only get one. 65780 is your comfort service. Leave one more. To get involved in the show. We're playing a game of should he stay or should he go? Say We're looking wrong. towards the offseason with the Cardinals. Should the Cardinals bring these guys back or should they explore their market on uh, their trade market with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson? I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start with Nolan Gorman. <clears throat> emotional just talking about it i'm gonna say you're gonna say sounds like he's going (laughs) nolan gorman i actually think quietly had a successful rookie year i know that people probably won't view it that way because of the way that it ended but it's really hard to be a consistent big leaguer and he came up and he did exactly what they asked of him he came up and he hit for power now did he strike out 30 percent of the time (laughs) you're damn right he did he got (laughs) sent down to the minors a a month before the postseason started man and that's a success he did come back up and in the playoffs on the had one of their like five hits in yeah. the wild card round. God, he finished oh. the year in the major leagues batting 225. Not great, but <laughs> slugging 420 and was about 7% above league average offensively. Alex, should Nolan Gorman stay or should he go? I think he should go. 
because I don't know what his role is on this team moving forward. And I think you can get something that really helps your team via trade with Nolan Gorman. I think now with Brendan Donovan, now with Tommy Edmond, and of course they'll have Trey Turner, and then you've got the DH spot. I just think Nolan Gorman doesn't factor into this team's plans moving forward. So I will say, hey, should go. Wow, man. That was really good, actually. I can't believe giving up on him so early. I'm going to say he stays. I Should he, though? I'm not guessing. Yes. We're not he predicting what the Cardinals are going to do. We're saying what would we do? Learn what the game. See them Learn do. the game, man. Sorry. I didn't you really, think you should stay? I think he should stay. I'm not Tanner's willing. Just all about the slug. You're just yeah, never going to get. Oh, yeah. Well, it's great. It's hard to slug when you're missing the ball. Well, when we do hit it, it goes a long way. Hey, listen to so, me. When you miss the ball, you can't slug. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I, <laughs> I am going to say he should stay. I, I think Nolan Gorman... That was just the kind of rookie go of things for him where it was you saw him have success when he first came up here. You saw the league adjust. Then you saw him make the adjustment back, and then they made another adjustment, and he just ran out of time to get it fixed, and he had to go down to the Myers work on it. I think he has a more consistent second year. Now, what his role is, I'm not 100% sure because I think the Cardinals want to have don't want to have just a guy that's a DH. I don't have an issue with doing that. I would be fine with him just being a DH and with the shift rules limiting how you where you can't shift at all. I'm not sure you really want his defense out there at second base a whole lot. Agreed. But I think I think he should stay. I think there's more upside to him. I think he's got 30 home run power potential. And if we're talking about get this team getting to their ceiling and getting to a World Series, I think he has to be one of those guys that develops into one of those supplemental pieces for this team. So I say he should stay. If he stays, is he starting at DH over one Yepes for you? Yes. And if that ends up being the case, what is Yepes's role in this team? I think Yepes is a bench bat or he's one of your starting outfielders that that guy that i said is you heard me you, good god one man of those start, but he's not in, he's not gonna be the starting outfielder for the whole year he's one that guy that's in there for is the stop gap until jordan walker's ready. this is why nolan gorman's going because juan yapez is my everyday dh i think you have to decide between the two this offseason and that's why for me i think nolan gorman goes and the next guy that we are going to discuss is juan yapez I, I'm not sure that it makes sense for you to have both of those guys on the team next year. And it's not because like having too many bats is, is a good problem to have. However, if you could utilize that resource to get you something that you need, like if you could use Nolan Gorman to go out and acquire a stud catcher, like the Blue Jays, for example, there was a report yesterday that the Blue Jays might be interested in a left-handed hitting outfielder. Well, can I interest you in a left-handed hitting guy that has never played the outfield but might project to be an outfielder in the future in Nolan Gorman? Maybe. Maybe he's somebody that could Stop be of interest. Stop trying to make Nolan Gorman an outfielder, man. Toronto would laugh at you, man. And if last not, time we went with a Toronto player, he didn't play and they had to pay him to go if away. If not, would they be interested in a guy like Juan Yepes? Potentially. Or maybe there's somebody else out there that would be willing to give you a, a starting pitcher or a reliever yeah, that you really you like. Shane Bieber from Cleveland with Nolan Gorman. That Those are the kinds of conversations that I'm willing to have going into the off season. So Nolan Gorman for me would be the one that I would trade Tanner for you. You're keeping Nolan Gorman. Are you letting Juan Yepes, your guy go? God, you're just going to have a ton no. of bench batch that can't hit the ball. No, I think you can have both Gorman and Yepes on this roster. I, I think maybe Go- Yepes is going to be the perfect guy that you can platoon with Gorman who can pinch hit for him. And Yepes, I still think they will view him as a guy that could potentially get spot starts in the outfield. Or maybe he wins that job. I think it's going to be a open job in that outfield spot that you don't fill in the offseason where it's going to be Nimmo's everyday center fielder, Carlson's our everyday right fielder, 
who's going to be the guy that starts in left field. And I think they will go probably with a platoon, whether it be Newpar, Yepes, maybe Burleson gets a shot there. And if he's not going to be the guy that's in the outfield, I think he's the guy that hits against left-handed pitching for the Cardinals at the DH spot. And then on the right side, then you can go with, if you want, you can go to Yepes either in left field or have him on the bench who can then pinch hit for Gorman late in games. My guy that is in your role that you just discussed, and this is the next one that we're getting to, you're staying with Yepes. We both have him on the roster this year, is Alec Burleson. Alec Burleson, for me, would play the role that you're describing for Juan Yepes. He's going to be a fourth outfielder slash starting the year in the minors, and when you need him, he can come up and he can play in that role. Lars Newtbar is in a similar capacity where he's going to be a starter slash fourth outfielder, especially against right-handed pitching. I'll have him out there potentially in right field. I think Alec Burleson has more value to the Cardinals than he would in a trade right now, so he's going to be back for me going into next season. Yeah, I, I I like that. I think Alec Burleson stays on this team, in my opinion, because he's that depth piece for you in the minors that is available when injuries strike. I'm still hoping that they sign an outfielder. You've got Lars Newtbar. You'll have Dylan Carlson. I don't know with Tyler O'Neill, And then you've got the Juan Yepeses, and then you get to Alec Burleson. So he stays on my roster. See, I say Burleson goes. I, I think you have the left-handed bat in him that we're talking about in Lars Newtbar as serving as the everyday fourth outfielder for you when Walker's ready or uh, if you want Newt to be the starter. And then I think if you go and sign Brandon Nimmo, which I think is a real possibility for the Cardinals, I think People they look at... People are going to be so mad when that happens. I and will. then we're going to have to explain to them why it's a good signing. Yeah. Explain to me yeah, why it, it's a good sign like, for wow, 80 what a great games. signing. Uh, I, I, unbelievable. I think that... Dexter if, Fowler 2.0. I think the guy that they signed... To be one of the outfielders is probably left-handed bat. And if it's Nimmo, you got Nimmo's left-handed bat. Newtbar's left-handed bat as a fourth outfielder. And then what's the role for Burleson? And that's how I see the offseason playing out. So I say Burleson goes. The next one up, speaking of the outfield, Dylan Carlson. <laughs> should he stay or should he go? Is this trade deadline 2022? Because should have gone and got Juan Soto at that time. I don't think that you can get what Dylan Carlson is worth right now. I agree. I think that his value, I would guess, I don't know this to be true. Maybe there are people that still really believe in the talent and think, hey, if we tweak a couple of things here, Dylan Carlson can still be that guy that hits 25 bombs, steals 15 to 20 bags, hits 270 for a year, has a decent on-base percentage. That That's still in him. It, it really is. Even if it looked ugly this year for most of the season, I think he stays as a result. I think you can play him in center field occasionally. I think he's a great guy in right field to play for you. Dylan Carlson, in a worst-case scenario, starts for you against left-handed pitchers every single time you see one and is a great bench bat to bring in against left-handed pitching. And in a best-case scenario, he's an everyday outfielder that is young, cheap, cost-controlled, and has the upside to be a borderline all-star. So he's staying for me. Yeah, he's staying for me, too, because I'm hoping, it's like what we talked about with the Dodgers earlier, that you hope kind of at that year three, year four, that he hits on what you're expecting out of Dylan Carlson. He stays for me because I've got to figure out some solidity in my outfield, and I think Dylan Carlson's going to have to be one of those guys this season so yeah he's on my roster yeah he stays for me as well I, I think he's better than what he was last year against right-handed pitching I'm not saying he's going to be can't be much worse I was gonna say I'm, I'm not sure he's gonna be like awesome at it but I think he's gonna be good at it. I think he's solid I think he's a solid everyday player that can hit like 260 270 has 20 home run power in his bat and I know a lot of Texans aren't gonna agree that he hit 18 in 2021 so I I think he's an everyday guy I think I think you keep him I I agree with you I don't think his value is what he would what you should get for him if you were to look to explore him on the trade market. Final one, Jack Flaherty. Should he stay or should he go? 
I think he stays because like Tanner said earlier, like you're hoping for the best with him. It's kind of like the Vladimir Tarasenko situation. Like you're not going to get what you probably should get for Jack Flaherty. You know, he's going to be walking after this season. He's going to want to get paid as much as possible benefit off of having the best year possible from Jack Flaherty. And if he gets hurt, well then guess what? It's an easy decision to move past and you've got depth at the starting pitching position. But I think Jack Flaherty stays. I think he, I think he stays. I, Again, you can't move him because his value would be too low for what he actually should bring in if you're going to look at a deal because I still think Jack Flaherty is one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy and right, and I get it. That's a big gamble to bet on, but I would gamble on it. I think he's going to be healthy. I think he's going to have a big year, contract year for him, so I say Jack Flaherty stays. I think he stays as well. I You, you can't trade him right now. You're not going to get the value that he holds inside of himself right now for the Cardinals. Like he, If he's right... He could be your number one starter next year. That's still a possibility. I I feel the same way about Jack that I do about Carlson. There's too much upside to sell low now, if on you, that kind of if an asset. If you can go get yourself a Shane Bieber in a trade, then I probably would explore the option. I would keep both. I would say I've got two guys that projects to be legit number one starters for me potentially. Well, then next I got year. too many mouths to feed. Why? Um, I mean, you're filling Wayno spot. That yeah. way you don't have you don't oh, okay. so you don't have Wayno. You got Bieber in his spot. My my rotation going into the playoff series, at least the way that I would hope, is. I've got Bieber, I've got Flaherty, I've got Michaelis. Good luck to whoever I'm going up against. Then whatever the number five is we acquire at the deadline. <laughs> exactly. Jose Quintana, he'll be back to Come, the Cardinals. Coming up in 15 minutes, what do the new sh- shift rules mean for the Cardinals going into next year? I think one guy that we just discussed, it applies to him and what his role is going to be potentially for the team next year. We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock, but coming up next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Coming up here in about five minutes or so, what will the new shift rules mean for the Cardinals, especially one of their young players? We'll talk about that coming up at one o'clock. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you have for us today? Remember yesterday how Alex told us he's a fisherman? I did. Never said I was a fisherman. Oh, yeah, I did say I was a fisherman. something Huge into the rod rod and reel. Yeah, that's what it was. Cast a wide net. And you you remember remember. how you catch bass. Remember how you shared the story of. With your rod. No, with a net. You don't catch a bass with a rod. You catch a bass with a net. Hmm. Okay. You cast a wide net. The Uh, rod is when you're trying to catch other things. Do you remember the story you had on the guy cheating in chess? Yeah. Yeah, the anal beads? I'm going to, like, combine the two stories. You're going to combine fishing with anal beads? No. Close. But I found a story of guys that have been charged with multiple felony accounts for allegedly attempting to cheat to win an Ohio fishing tournament. They he doesn't cheated. realize that we've done this story. We've done this story. Yeah. We've done this story before. Yeah, you, you legitimately yes. talked during it. Really? Yeah. This is um. This is awkward. Huh, this is awkward. Man, remember when I didn't read the story before? <laughs> well, this is I worse than that. Story. <laughs> this is worse than when that. When did we do this fish <laughs> story? No, no, no. Tell us about story. Let's pretend we didn't hear about are you, are, it. Is this the one where they like stuffed the fish with the lead and You've it weighed them down? You've read this story too. Well, yeah, yeah, we read it on air. Tell me more about it, though. Tell Let's me just more. go back. Let's go back. What's the latest update? This is awkward. They've been charged. They've with been what? charged. They were charged with felony of cheating, attempted grand theft, and possessing criminal tools, along with misdemeanor counts of unlawfully owning wild <laughs> animals after allegedly stuffing fish. 
What'd they do? This is embarrassing for you, man. Can you tell us a little bit about the details of this story, Tanner? The deets. No. Can you give us the deets? There are times that I hate both of you, and this is one of them. Well, you're going to hate us more next Monday when you got to eat some you hot know what? sauce. I'm with, I'm with Alex. I'm never bringing the junk drawer story again. Ferrario's out on There's a reason it. I haven't done junk drawer stories for the last three days. <laughs> it's all up to BK now for the junk drawer. I was so excited. When the hell did we do this story? Last week. You should go back and check did it out on the really? podcast page, 101ESPN.com, <laughs> presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I seriously do not remember this story at all. Do you even listen when we talk on the no. show? Yeah. No, he doesn't. Does anybody listen when no. we talk? There's no way we brought this story up. This story was published Somebody said, yesterday. tell Tanner the story came out a week ago. It, it did. The original story the was update. a week ago. There was an update that they were charged. That That is the new portion of this. Well, you're welcome for that the That happened update. yesterday. Man, that it, is just it, junk. It is a wild story, dude. These guys won like hundreds of thousands of dollars in fishing tournaments. And now we are finding out that they're complete frauds. All right, I got to go. That back all to of the, the fish that they caught, they like stuffed them with lead. So that way they would weigh this crazy amount of weight. And then they like, my question is like, how fast are you getting that done before they can like catch you? I, I think. They, I, listen, man, I'm the last person that could tell you how a fishing tournament works. Like I'm not out there watching the, the, You're not casting the outdoorsman channel a whole lot. I don't think it's on the outdoorsman channel. I don't know what it's, it's on. Channel. Oh, it's a real um, channel. <laughs> but. My assumption is these take like all day and then they come back at the end of the day and here, here's our catch for the day. So I, I guess they've got like a decent you think amount of in time. a tournament that they would have like judges around yeah, well, to make got, sure. That's how they got caught. There was a guy that the, said the judge something. that caught him. Yeah, he said something like it was like looking. You could tell that something was not right with the fish because that species shouldn't weigh that much. Well, and he was like, he was like looking at a five foot guy that weighed like five hundred pounds. The first thing that um, didn't belong that tipped them off was they wouldn't allow them to like. I think they feed homeless or something with some of the fish that they catch throughout the day, or they they donate a lot of the fish. And they said, no, don't take those. He said, no, we we do not want you to take our, our catch from yeah, today. And they were like, you're going to kill people if you take our fish and feed them. No fun, no pun intended, but that's fishy. Like, that's that's kind of strange. Why why wouldn't you allow us You got us so to mad do- with all of our puns yesterday. They donate to food banks. That's where they donate it to. So you got so mad at our puns yesterday, and then you're going to throw that in there and act like no nothing happened? No, there was obvious pun intended with that. Guys, the 618 says Albert hit 700 home runs. When the hell did that happen? Did the Cardinals win the World Series? Because I want, oh, that's why I picked that option. Remember the options that were available? World Series of 700 home runs? We wanted the 700 home runs. The Cardinals actually signed Albert. What? <laughs> he came back. Wait, like, I, he never, he, like, I heard a rumor he hit it in L.A. Did like you hear that Mike Schill got fired? <laughs> it was philosophical Gosh, differences. The, He's you know the Blues won the Stanley Cup, right? No, nah, that never happened. The Rams are gone, too. Oh, hell. <laughs> that's, that's the one that's really going to blow Did your you mind. realize it when you wore the L.A. Rams shirt that they uh, they left St. Louis? I thought it was a throwback to the 60s. Randy's uh, hosting mornings now. Oh, on that one I knew. I, I used to work with Randy. I knew that one. Former Blues defenseman and former World Series champion, they're on the fast lane. Cool. You know the, you know, like, spaceship landed on the moon? Okay. <laughs> Not to fall back to the 80s. That actually didn't the happen. 80s. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Conspiracy theory. Yeah, that didn't happen. That was before the tinfoil Everything started. else that we just mentioned to you, it all happened. Yeah. Google the moon it. landing, that was not real. Google it. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. Real. But next, what <laughs> are the website. new shift rules yeah, going no. to mean? I'm going to power through here for the Cardinals and specifically one of their young players. We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. My 
Justin Stockett can't play second nope. base anymore. You're going to need someone who actually has the ability to cover ground. And, and yeah, Max Muncy, you're back to being a DH, I think, buddy. Yep. You're never a plus defender at third base. You're really not that good of a first baseman. Hiding you in a shift, that stuff goes away. It's an ugly <laughs> style of baseball. It's going to be prettier to actually have defenders on the field. It's interesting. That was Greg Amsinger on with the morning show today. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. There was a similar sentiment that was shared uh, from Jed Hoyer, who is the president of baseball operations with the Chicago Cubs. He talked with the media in Chicago the other day about Nico Horner, who's one of their young players that they're trying to build around right now. And Horner played a lot of shortstop this year. And they were asked, or the, the media asked, hey, what is Nico Horner's future position? Do you think that his future is at shortstop? And how does the the elimination of the shift play into such a decision? And they basically said, hey, we think that with less, less shifting, it's going to be possible that teams are going to have to have extra athleticism at the keystone position to provide greater range, something that is less necessary with the current rules in place. And then they added that Nico Horner is likely to switch over to second base as a result of this decision. And so my guess is the Cubs are going to be in the market this offseason for one of those top shortstops. And Nico Horner is going to be their second baseman going into this year. Guys, how does this play into the decision making process for the Cardinals? Because in my opinion, it makes it less likely that a player such as Nolan Gorman is your everyday starting second baseman. Not just for next year, but at any point over the foreseeable future. I don't think that's his position. I don't think that's where his future is. I think his future is either an everyday DH or a guy that cycles through in the outfield and I will die on this hill. I think he's going to be an outfielder before all is said and done. You'll be Katie, dying before we Katie see that happen. you'll be on your own hill. That's fine. I don't think he's a second baseman. Katie even joined me with Dakota Hudson being an ace. She that didn't join you well, with that. That tells you it's not exactly. going to happen. So Wait, where, what? what do you guys think that this means for the Cardinals? I think this is more... Of the reason why I believe Nolan Gorman won't be on this team. Because I think they already have a ton of DH options right now with Juan Yepes, with Alec Burleson. And, and the other thing that I didn't get to when we were talking about Nolan Gorman and stay or go, what happens to Nolan Gorman when Mason wins here? Because Tommy Edmonds, your second baseman then. Nolan Gorman does not have a he spot. He moves to the outfield, Alex! He's not good enough to be in the outfield, BK. I think this is more likely that he is traded because I, I think this trends more towards the Cardinals looking at the shortstop market because they want Tommy Edmond to be playing second base, that gold glove caliber at second, and then you go get yourself a, a shortstop who can play regardless of the shift. And then you're set at that spot. So I think this is more of the reason why Nolan Gorman becomes expendable. Brendan Donovan becomes that ultimate utility guy who can play in the outfield. We've seen that, BK. And then you look in the shortstop market to see what you can get. Yeah, I think it puts the Cardinals at a bit of a crossroads where it is. Do we feel that do we feel like every player on our roster has to be able to play an infield position at a level that is at minimum average because I'll, I'll be honest I think Nolan Gorman defensively is below average at second base so I, I don't think he's bad I think he's below average I, I agree I don't think he's awful or bad I think he's just below average and I think the Cardinals are at a crossroads of deciding okay do we have a young player like Nolan Gorman that we're willing to sacrifice some defense by throwing him out there at second base or do we just commit to him being a full-time DH or do we just move on do we do what Alex is saying and use him as a piece in a trade package to go get someone like a Shane Bieber or someone like that. And I think that's the crossroads that the Cardinals are at. I think you stick with him, and I think you just realize, you know what, he's more likely going to be just a 
DH for us. He's going to be our DH against right-handed hitters. And every now and then, if we need him to because of the way that it's uh, it's probably a Sunday getaway day, we'll put him at second base. We're not going to be able to hide him with the shift. He's only going to start a handful of games at second base for us. Most of his starts are going to be as DH. He's going to be a bench bat for us. For sure. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I agree that he's, he is at a crossroads. And I, I'm curious if you guys would agree with this statement. He's not an outfielder, man. I think there are two two decisions the Cardinals have to make quickly in the offseason that will determine where they go from here in terms of their offseason plans. The first is, what are we doing with Wayno? If they're bringing back Adam Wainwright, I think it takes them out of the pitching market, at least starting pitching-wise, because I think you then know what your starting rotation is going into next season. And realistically speaking, there's probably not anybody that will sign with the Cardinals that's a starting pitcher, because why would you? You don't have a spot in the rotation. It's kind of like Quintana last year. He said there wasn't a whole lot of interest there because I wanted to be a starter, and they didn't seem to have a spot that was available for me. So makes sense. That's going to be the same thing this year for the Cardinals when you look at the guys that they already have available if Wayno's back. If he's not... That opens up some decisions to be made either on free agency or in the uh, trade market for a starter. The second thing is, what are we doing with Nolan Gorman? Is Nolan Gorman part of our long-term plan? If the answer is yes, you have to determine what that plan is. Is he a second baseman? Because I think he's got to have a position. I know that some of us in this room disagree on that. I think Nolan Gorman, if he's going to be here long-term, has to have a position that he can play at least once a week. Because otherwise, carrying that guy as an everyday DH, I, I think it's a little bit of a waste of a, a waste of his talent, honestly. And if he's going to be a second baseman for you, that might play into what your plans are this year as well in terms of what you're getting in the middle infield. If him and Donovan are both going to split some time at second, I think Tommy Edmonds probably an everyday shortstop for you. And now I've got a question of, okay, do you just go to the market for a backup shortstop? Or is Kramer Robertson going to be on this 26-man roster next year? Or do you bring Paul DeYoung back as a backup shortstop? Where he just, his his only role is to come in defensively late in a game if you need that. Or if Edmonds out for a couple of weeks on the IL, he's the guy that ends he up replacing He wasn't making $11 million. Dollars. I think that's a, or $9 million, whatever it is. But it's a sunk cost. You're paying that regardless. And so I think those are some of the decisions that will go into it. But the two questions they have to start with, do you guys agree with this? One, is Wayno coming back? And two, what is Nolan Gorman's role for us? And is he a member of our long-term outlook? Yeah, I mean, I think those are important questions, but that's the thing. Like, I think they have so many other questions and those seem to be the important ones. But before I can get to Nolan Gorman, I also think I have to ask the question, where is our offense going to be coming from? And maybe that is tied into Nolan Gorman with the position stuff. But you also have to figure out, like, I think Nolan Gorman's kind of in the Tyler O'Neill frame of mind. So if Nolan Gorman's at that list, I think you also have to ask the question about Tyler O'Neill, too. Because then, oh. then that changes everything. I've asked the question. I've also answered. It. But like, but what I'm saying is, before <laughs> Nolan Gorman is not here. Before Nolan Gorman is the number two question that I have to ask. I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be on that because that dictates an awful lot. So like, there's a lot of questions up in the air. But I agree. I think Nolan Gorman is a massive key to all of this. I just think you're going to have to move him because if you try and ride this train any longer. I think the trade value continues to decrease. That, like, that is like my Dylan, worry. I'm totally with you it's on Dylan that. Dylan Carlson style. Like you can't trade Dylan Carlson out because you're not going to get what you thought you could. Nolan Gorman had a good season, not a great season, but there are a lot of teams that I think would say we need this guy, and that's when you pounce rather than go a full season. Him struggle again, can't hit the fastball, goes back down to the minors, and nobody wants to trade. That's a really good point, and I think it's important to remember that Nolan Gorman might never have more value than what he has currently. Like you, you, you could be selling high 
on a depreciating asset. It's kind of like buying that new car, right? The moment that you drive it off of the lot, it loses a bleep ton of value. With Nolan Gorman, we have seen just enough to still be tantalized by his his talent. He hit 14 home runs with the Cardinals last year. He hit 30 home runs if you combine what he did in AAA and in the big leagues. Is he going to be a guy that ends up just hitting 220 with a decent amount of power and not a whole lot of on base? Is, is that who Nolan Gorman is going to be? Or is he going to be kind of like what we saw from Tyler O'Neill, where eventually it all comes together and he's a left-handed version of O'Neill, where you're hitting for a 260, 270 average. You can get on base 35% of the time. And oh, by the way, he's also hitting 35 bombs. And if you take that to New York or Chicago or somewhere where it's even, even more hitter friendly park, maybe he gets up to 40. Maybe he becomes more Kyle Schwarber esque. That's in play as well. And right now we don't know which path he's going down, which does, I believe, mean that he has more value for some of these teams that could be coming calling for a trade offer. I I think the Cardinals ultimately just hang on to him and see what they can get out of him because that just feels like the Cardinals move. When was the last time that we were kind of tantalized by what we saw from a prospect and then they just said, you know, we can move on to him to go get somebody else. I I just can't remember the last time that that's happened. Yeah, but I don't know if you really saw the tantalizing aspect from Randy Rosarena. And it was it was even a smaller sample size than what we saw from Nolan Gorman. At the I big mean, league that, level. I think that's a fair name to throw out there. But I, I was thinking more of like for a proven asset, too. Rosarena was dealt as a package to go acquire uh, Matthew Libertor. So I don't I don't think... I don't think they would go that route. I think they will just... Who was the last one? That's actually a really interesting question. I don't think they've done it, I, to be honest with you. I don't think they have. Maybe Voight, but I, he wasn't really a top prospect, and no. you dealt him for Gallegos. Was it Brasmus? Rat, Maybe. But he was. I think you undersold him. He was a part of a massive package to go get. That was the deal for the bullpen arms. I think he was at that point kind of where we're talking about where Carlson was, where they kind of sold low, but they decided, you know what, we got to move on from him. Rasmus basically had two full seasons at that point in the big leagues, and one of which was really good. The other he was, was a top prospect. Okay. That, that might, and, and I mean, if we're talking about Rasmus, we're talking about more than a decade ago was the last time that we've seen something like this. It's an interesting question of like, it's a different this is a mindset. very un-Cardinals like move. And that's why I don't think they do it. high on but, a prospect, but I also think it might be something that they've learned of. Hey, look at Matthew Liberatore. We we bought high on him, and we're not getting the results that we were looking for. Or you look at some of the guys like a Dylan Carlson. Like, could we have sold higher on the asset before we saw depreciating returns? I think this is something that a team like the Guardians are really good at. And it's something that a team like the Rays are really good at. They'll take that asset. They'll get three years out of it, four years out of it. Like, there's rumors right now that they might be willing to trade Randy Rosarena this offseason. That's crazy to me, but it kind of makes some sense when you think about it. They'll just flip him for another guy that'll become the next Randy Rosarena. That mindset that Tebow mentioned, though, like that they don't do that. That's why I don't think they would do that. And you're right. They haven't done it in, what, 11 years, if that was the last time that they accomplished this. But at some Somebody point... Somebody brings up Shelby Miller. That might be the Shelby one. Shelby Miller's a good one. Yeah. The, at some point, you have to sit there and look at it and say, okay, we've been doing the same thing for 11 years, and it has not gained us any success. Maybe we try and switch things up a little bit here. Maybe we look at our organization and say, we're entering a championship window. We believe with two MVPs and the youth that we have and Jordan Walker on the way. How about we do something that doesn't scream Cardinals? I mean, you did do that with Nolan Arenado. You did something that didn't scream Cardinals. You yeah, did see, it with Paul like Goldschmidt. Scrap, screamed Cardinals. because Trading was, for a guy who's making that much money? Yeah, but you I don't think so. Colorado $50 million. Gonna, yeah. dollars. You didn't have to give up top prospects for it. Like it screamed Cardinals. You. 
I think if you want to find a way to stop losing in the wild card round and start actually chasing the teams that are going to the CSs in the World Series, do something that doesn't scream Cardinals. I, and this might be the offseason to do it. And I think the Cardinals would do this, what I'm calling an anti-Cardinal move, if they determine that he has to play a position. Because I disagree with your assessment of if he's just a DH and it's wasting his talent. No, I think it's maximizing his talent. I, I think his talent is just a bat. And that's not any shot against Nolan Gorman, but I'm... I'm not sure he's going to improve to be a average to above average defense defender at second base. And if I can have Edmund slide over to second base, who's a gold glover, and then you bring in a guy at shortstop like Jose Iglesias at short that's really good, that's your best defense. And Gorman's not going to be able to touch that to where he's able to be on the field and play an everyday at that position. So if they determine, you know what, we don't want a guy that's just an everyday DH, then okay, then I would understand the decision to go and, and do that move. I would disagree with that. I believe he is best used as a asset to be a bat for the St. Louis Cardinals, be a guy that can come off the bench against right-handed pitchers late in the game, and also be a guy that starts against them in the DH role every day and can come in and play second base every handful of games, I I think you can still maximize his potential, and I think that is maximizing his ability, is using his bat, and yes, he's not going to be, I don't think he'll ever be the guy we saw from Tyler O'Neill last year. I think his best season you could see is like a 250 hitter that hits like 35 to 40 home runs and slugs the crap out of the ball. Would you sign up for him to become Kyle Schwarber? I would. Because Kyle Schwarber's best, yeah. best asset is his bat, and he's he shouldn't be playing the outfield even though he is this year, but he's he's not an outfielder. Oh, I saw him going after fly ball. I was like, oh, that's scary. Yeah, it's, Every that's, time I see him go for a fly ball, I think of him blowing out his ACL as the Chicago Cubs outfielder. He's a DH masquerading as an outfielder. That's probably... I think Gorman would be better in the outfield than Schwarber is, but oh, that's God. probably what it kind of would be. Is it, He's a, inf- a utility infielder that's masquerading as an outfielder. It, you would sign up for him to become Kyle Schwarber? Absolutely. I would. If he's if he becomes Kyle Schwarber, then I wouldn't be so apt to move him, but I'm concerned that he doesn't become Kyle Schwarber. I don't think that it's crazy to think that he could. Like, he's I definitely I, got the raw power to do it. I think that Kyle Schwarber is a pretty good comp offensively for what you might expect out of um, Nolan Gorman. I don't know if he has the same plate discipline that Schwarber has. Like Schwarber walks a lot. And we haven't really seen that in in Nolan Gorman's minor league career, so that's that's where maybe the two paths would diverge a bit. But could he be similar batting average, lower on base percentage, similar similar slug version of Kyle Schwarber? Yeah, I think he could be that. I would sign up for. Him. I think I he hope could he does. Be that. I, I just don't think he will. I don't think he'll hit because I know that Schwarber, like his average this year was way down to two eighteen. His career yeah, struck out two hundred times. His career, Gorman could do that too. No, I know uh, he could do that. That's his, what I'm worried about. But average, the other numbers don't match. His average, like his career average for Schwarber, is two thirty three. Like that could be Gorman. Absolutely, be, be that every year, and he probably won't be on base as much because of what you said. He, I do don't. You, after what you saw in this season, do you honestly believe that he could be that? Average of a hitter, a two thirty five yeah. average. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Two thirty five is not good. <laughs> like, I'm a little worried that it trends towards I, Paul I, DeYoung numbers. See, I think we, I think we oversell what happened. I don't know if oversell is the right word, but I think we overreact to what we saw at the end of the year. I think that was a rookie. Just Major League Baseball made the next adjustment. I think Schwarber had, didn't uh, have the time. I think Nolan Gorman had a very good rookie season. Agreed. Offensively, like, I, I don't think I could have expected a whole lot more from him offensively. Honestly, and this is why, like, I, I do get a little nervous with the Jordan Walker stuff. I don't want to expect too much out of him as a rookie. I think he can be really good next year, and it might be a 250 hitter that gets on base at a decent clip and hits for okay power. 
that's not a bad thing. He's 21 years old. It's going to take some time for him to develop in the big leagues. Most guys are not Juan Soto the moment that they break through into the big leagues. Or You know what? They should be. For sure. Or Francisco Lindor. Like That is the rarity, and it's why those guys are unicorns. But for Nolan Gorman, I think he had a, a pretty darn good rookie season, and it honestly wasn't all that dissimilar from what we saw in Kyle Schwarber's rookie year. He was a 245 hitter that hit 15 home runs in 70 games. It's pretty similar you know what to what worries, we saw this year out of, out of Gorman. You know what worries me the most about Gorman is that he couldn't break out of that slump this season. Like, See, but he did, he did it early. Time. Yeah, he uh, did it early in the year, too. It was trending in that direction for at least a month and a half where they weren't playing him because he was striking out. He wasn't getting a lot of opportunities. And then it's like it just got to the point where he just couldn't get any at-bats. That's what worries me, him trending in that direction. Coming up in 15 minutes, we got to talk a little NFL. How long do you need to see it from a young quarterback before you decide he is officially your guy? The Eagles are asking themselves that question this year. There seems to be some talk about um, what they're getting right now out of Jalen Hurts. I'm just not buying it. We'll get into that coming up at 130. Believe it or not, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That was pitchy. Alongside <laughs> <laughs> Alex Ferrario, Richardson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I think that's what my dog good. sounds like when she barks. I'm not going to be able to do this with you guys next week. Thank God. Oh, or next the week two weeks. Because <laughs> you just took the rest of October off. Hey, by the way, if you've got any, uh, any suggestions for New York, Boston, uh, Providence, Newport, Dude, you nobody cares where you're or going. Portland, Maine. Montana. Go ahead and send him in Montana. on the air comfort service text line at 65780. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was going on like a country road trip. Country road. Oh, so excited for that song to be back. Guys, I watched Blink-182 perform that was really cool. all the small things last night, and I hate Colorado. That was so awesome. Eh, was okay. I'm very jealous that that's not the blues song because it was such a good song. All right, let's get into Believe It or Not. Guys, oh, believe it or not, the Cardinals make at least one significant trade during the offseason. When was the last time they made a trade in the offseason. Arnado. Arnado. That did happen. It did happen. I was Mr. 95% on that. And Goldschmidt. I'm going to believe this one. I think this is that kind of year like they had in the offseasons of Goldschmidt, Arnado, where you look at it and you say, man, we're missing something. I'm going to believe this. They've got the assets to make a trade. Who knows if it was true or not that they were calling on Juan Soto. I think they're ready to be aggressive. I think Moe's ready to wheel and deal. They didn't make a trade last offseason, did they? No. Like, no. Uh, I was trying to think of I don't even think they made a trade. No, they spent. They, they had the significant off season of getting Verhagen and Whitgren. No, good point. And Aaron Brooks was a really Worked significant well. off season. Oh, for three. They got Albert. There we go. Yeah, but that wasn't until spring training. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to say. They realized their mistakes in the off season. By the way, thank God Gorman and Yep has sucked in spring training. Because if kidding. not, you don't have Albert. No, I think Albert was coming no matter okay. what. Touche. I don't. I'm not going to believe this though, because I'm not sure it'll be a significant trade. I think they could make a trade, but I don't know if it'll be really big. This would be the off season to do it, though. You've got the assets to go make a move. I mean, you had what seven top 100 prospects in uh, the top 100 this season, so you have the assets to go do it. But is it a matter of 
do they want to? And did, it, did any of those prospects kind of jump onto the radar of some of these teams that have talent that you're looking at, like Cleveland, for example, with Shane Bieber or Tampa? I'm sure they're trading somebody this offseason. So, but I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I think they make a significant trade. I think it includes Tyler O'Neill. Would you guys trade Tyler O'Neill for a stud reliever? No. With multiple years of control left? Yeah. I don't think you need a reliever. I, I think the more the merrier. I think you could use about, another one to how replenish. About rather than the more the merrier, let's fix the problems that are on our team right now. Or, hear me out here. No. We try to win games one nothing. And you <laughs> they tried that and it awesome. didn't work. And you can do both, right? Like you're you're repurposing that money. So instead of spending $5 million for Tyler O'Neill, I don't know who the guy is. Like, I'd have to go through every team's bullpen to find out who's potentially right, going to be available. And he'll do it. We expect that tomorrow. He <laughs> will do it. Give me 24 hours his and damn, I got his you. damn notebook has every roster and trade available. But I... I think that that's something that maybe you look into. I know it's weird to trade a guy that has five tool upside for a reliever, but I was just trying to think of like, okay, if you trade Tyler O'Neill, what are you looking to acquire? And I, I really do think it's either you look to acquire a prospect. Like you're, you're flipping the guy that is a veteran for a prospect or you flip him for probably a stud reliever. I, I don't know what else you're potentially getting. It reminds me a lot of the Voigt deal, but it's not as much control. I think I'd be looking at a package with Tyler O'Neill of one of these guys that are high-end prospects that you're looking for and try and address a need, whether it's an outfielder, whether it's a starting pitcher, or whether it's catcher. a catcher. Yeah, it might yeah. be a catcher as well. That's something to consider. I mean, you put somebody with Tyler O'Neill and call up Toronto and see if you can get one of those two guys would, that we've talked about. Would you be willing to eat a little more salary in a deal like that for a reliever? Because the guy that jumps to my mind would be like a lefty and Aaron Loop. Oh, with no. the Angels, he's he makes seven point five. How about so that dude from Baltimore than, that uh, uh, BK loves? Oh, dude, who's the, who's the offensive lineman oh, in Baltimore that you can call they're up? They're not getting rid of him because he's cheap and he is good. Aaron Loop's okay. I, like I'm thinking, really good young cost. Thinking like an eighth, seventh, or eighth inning guy. Yeah, like, and, a, and a young guy that's probably under either pre-arb or arbitration years. That, that's kind of the type. Like, honestly, Giovanni Gallegos, before he became Giovanni Gallegos, it's a it's a really good Man, comp. And I thought Jason Shreve was going to be the better asset in that trade. Something like that. Whoa. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Sean Murphy will be the Cardinals starting catcher next year. I'm not going to believe that because as much as the athletics are dealing people, I mean, you saw the negotiations with the Athletics this past offseason when the Cardinals were trying to get one of those pitchers, and it seems like they're Shaman asking I. for the world. Well, Sean and I wasn't that great, though. He's so. open. Yeah, he wasn't even that good. <laughs> it was really It's like Noah Syndergaard for me. Didn't work out as well as I hoped, but I think the Athletics ask too much, and I think there might be other catching options available to you via trade or free agency before you go that route. Would he, would be good. Would, he, would you call him the, a splash trade? Yes. See, I, I think they'll have interest in Murphy. I don't know if they would get a deal because of what Alex is saying. I think the price on Murphy is going to be high, and I think there's going to be multiple teams interested in him. So I'm not going to believe it. I don't think they'll trade for him, but I think they'll have serious interest in him. They may try to look and get a deal done. I'm going to go through the roster now see if they have any stud relievers we can throw into this package too. Who? No, I'm just looking. I'm. Oh, I thought yet. you were looking at Toronto. I'm like, I'm not doing a reliever from Toronto anymore. Who's this puke guy? Well, there's a puke <laughs> AJ, AJ Puck. Puck, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd love a puke guy. He's got some pretty good numbers. Cardinals probably, <laughs> Cardinals probably won't hit their puke point on that, though. The the A's always have guys that just come out of nowhere, where it's like, hey, they're 27 years old. They're a rookie. He How throws junk. <laughs> uh, he's 27. Oh, and he's a lefty. <laughs> yeah, that that guy always exists on the A's roster. T-Bone I'm found always his guy. nervous uh, to trade for him because it feels like they have one, two good years, and then it's... Phew, 
over. I'm not going to believe this. I think the Cardinals end up going cheap on the catcher spot. Surprise, surprise. I think you end up getting a Martin Maldonado, a Tucker Barnhart, and Omar Narvaez. If you're looking for somebody that maybe gets you a little excited, and when I say a little excited, I mean a little, like a minuscule amount. Gets you a little tingle. Christian Vasquez. That's an interesting name. Oh, is it? He's pretty good. I think that's what you're hoping how for about if you're we stop, a Cardinals fan. How about we stop doing pretty good and go out there and get great? If you're making a trade for a catcher, I think it's more likely that you trade with the Blue Jays for one of theirs than it is the A's for Sean Murphy. I like Danny Jansen. Get those goggles over fair? here. I think that's fair. Yeah. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. But next, how long do you need to see it from a young quarterback before you decide he's officially your franchise quarterback? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So, I am curious, guys. I saw this yesterday. Get Up was discussing Jalen Hurts. And Chris Canty, the former New York Giants defensive lineman, said this, quote, This game on Sunday will go a long ways to determining whether or not Jalen Hurts is, in fact, the future of the franchise in Philadelphia. The Eagles are, of course, playing against the Dallas Cowboys. They will do so on Sunday Night Football, a game that I believe you can hear right here on 101 ESPN. You can indeed on Sunday Night Football. Alex, I don't feel that way at all. I don't think that at this point any individual games will will determine for me if Jalen Hurts is the future at quarterback for the Eagles. I think I now know kind of what Jalen Hurts is. He's a really solid quarterback who has the potential to be great on the ground. He helps you a ton on short yardage situations with what he brings to the table. And he's going to give you a chance in just about every game. What I need to know is what he does in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's going to be determined for me on if he's a franchise quarterback for you or not. I don't think that we need to have this like every week is a, it's an ultimatum on whether or not Jalen Hurts is a franchise guy. I don't feel that way at all about it. No, him. I look at the examples of guys that have become the every week franchise quarterback. Josh Allen, who a lot of people had questions about. Why? Because of his postseason play. In the last couple of seasons, he has established himself as that everyday franchise quarterback. Patrick Mahomes established himself in the postseason as the guy. Lamar Jackson established himself in the postseason as the guy. You know who hasn't? Kyler Murray. Well, Lamar hasn't. Well, the rest but he got the MVP, which I think kind absolutely. of offsets that. You can have one of the two. Yeah. If you win in the MVP, you're yeah, a franchise absolutely. guy. If you win in the playoffs, you could be that but franchise look, guy. But look, Kyler Murray has not. And all of us, including a lot of national analysts, have said, probably need to start looking at what life is like without Kyler Murray. And then they had a baby to save the marriage by giving him the contract extension. Oh, I thought they actually had a baby. Congrats, <laughs> Kyler. I didn't I didn't know you had that, but awesome job. Um, but that, that's where it comes down. I mean, Baker Mayfield with the Cleveland Browns. You couldn't get it done in the postseason. Where's he at now? He's in Carolina. So I think that's absolutely how it's judged. You get one of the two. You're going to get yourself an MVP like Lamar Jackson, or you're going to win in the postseason. You establish yourself as a post as a franchise quarterback. And not just win in the postseason, be the reason your team wins in the postseason too, for me. Because like 
We've seen guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. We can all agree he's not a franchise quarterback. He's a solid regular season quarterback. He gets to the playoffs, and if he's got weapons around him, the team can kind of lift up Jimmy G and lead them into the playoffs. That's why he's been to one Super Bowl, and he got to the NFC Championship game last year. They look year. a lot better now, though, than what they did with Trey Lance in the I, one I, game he played. I agree with that, but I, I think that we can all say Jimmy Garoppolo is not a franchise quarterback. I think right now Jalen Hurts is in that category of, yeah, he's a really good quarterback. He's going to be a good regular season quarterback. He's probably the guy that you may commit to long-term just because we see how hard it is to commit to a quarterback and get a good quarterback on your roster. Philadelphia has that. The question is, is he one of the elite franchise quarterbacks when he gets to the playoffs? Can he be the guy that can take the team on his back and lead a game-winning drive and do it by making great throws, using his legs to extend drives and lead the Eagles on a run in the playoffs? If he can't, then he kind of falls back into that category of kind of a Kyler Murray where, you know, you can see some of the upside with Kyler Murray, but he clearly collapsed in the playoffs last year. So I, I think that... I agree. He's not the week-to-week guy of being the franchise quarterback. It's going to come down to what he does in the postseason, and is he the reason they win a postseason game, not just getting carried around by his teammates as well? I want to see if he can do this year what Cam Newton did in 2015. Cam Newton, prior to that in his career, this was his record by year as a starter. 6-10, and 7-9, had a good year in 2013, 12-4 as the starting quarterback for the Panthers. Next year, 5-8-1, dealt with some injuries. And then finally, in 2015, it all came together. He was 15-1 and one in the regular season, and then they went to the Super Bowl afterwards. And he went 2-1 and one as a starter. We know what happened in that Super Bowl. Obviously, it didn't go well, but he, he carried them to getting into that Super Bowl. Can Jalen Hurts be that guy for the Eagles? And the reason why all of this is coming under more scrutiny for the Eagles this year than it would be probably in a different situation is because they have so many first-round picks. They have a lot of capital in next year's draft. So if they wanted to replace Jalen Hurts, they could. They they could go out there and get one of the top quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class, or they could trade for whoever the next disgruntled quarterback's going to be. Maybe it's a Derek Carr or somebody like that. Somebody's going to become available because it seems like that's what happens now every year in the NFL. But I, I am really curious, like, If he becomes the next version of Cam Newton, and I loved Cam Newton. I thought he was a stud quarterback. I think people underrate just how great he was because of what he brought in in the ground game as well as through the air. I think Jalen Hurts could maybe be that for the Eagles, what Cam Newton was for the Eagles or for for the Panthers. He's got to prove it, though. You've got to have the sustained playoff run the way that cam did back in 2015 that's the next test for him yeah i think josh i think uh jalen hurts is a lot in the josh allen category right now where you're really just focused like you could do whatever you want in the regular season and it doesn't matter because we know you're great in that category what are you going to do when the brights are the lightest as bk likes to say what are you going to do on that stage are you going to crumble under the pressure because if you are then we're probably gonna have to find the guy who can get it done in the postseason especially for how good some of these quarterbacks are but if you can get it done and whether you're the reason why or you're part of the reason that's when it comes down to okay we're locking you down to a contract because you look like the guy that we're going to build our team around yeah and the fact of the matter that you have all these weapons around you too like you've got aj brown who's arguably been the best off-season pickup Devontae Smith's been really good for him so like you have weapons on on your side it's not like we're saying Jalen Hurts is just him and like one wide receiver and that's it he doesn't have like the wide receiver corps that Green Bay has where Rodgers is going to have to elevate those guys to go on a run in the postseason no he's got some solid pieces around him and that's where I think the expectation comes in on can you lead that team on a run kind of like what Cam Newton did and it wouldn't shock me at all if 
he were to go on a run like that, like Cam Newton, I mean, I see a lot of similarities, as you brought up, to where yeah. he could lead the Eagles to be in, like, I don't know, what, 14 and, what do they play, 17 now, 3, 14 and 3, something like that, and they end up getting the first round by, and then they end up you going on there. a pretty good run. Yeah, I know, for some reason, Process I was thinking of elimination, man. I was thinking of the bye week, man. But I, I could see him go, leading this team 14 and 3, and then potentially going on a run. Now, I think where it would become difficult to measure, partly, is that the NFC is so much weaker in my opinion, than what the AFC is. I mean, you saw where Josh Allen elevated his game and he had to go through guys like, he tried to go through guys like Mahomes and he ended up missing out because of what happened last year. But he had to go through guys like Mahomes. He had Brady over there on that side at one point. Like, it's not the same in the NFC. The NFC is going to be probably the Eagles and who else? Like, I don't know who the second team is that's right there with them. Giants, Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? We'll hit the rewind next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. season preview party at copper fire in belleville illinois the blues are kicking off the regular season on saturday alex will be a part of the pregame and postgame coverage he'll also be with us tomorrow from 11 to 2 live from copper fire in belleville special guest great food and drinks i'm not supposed to tell you guys this don't tell Ryder that i mentioned it we're also giving away some tickets to the home opener for saturday that's all going to be from 11 to 6 out at copper fire in belleville illinois join us as we help preview ferrario blues season Alex, before we get out of here. That's right, T-Bone. My name's first. I put out a poll. I'm at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. If the Cardinals could make one splash signing this offseason, out of these four options, who would be your top preference? Aaron Judge. Wilson Contreras. Oh, okay. Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, or Brandon Nimmo? This is... You did this Brandon Nimmo thing. I mean, he's... No, I started yeah. Aaron Judge, he's the best outfielder available. And oh, by the way, he's a lefty bat that gets on base like 38% Believe of the time. Believe it or not, he's a good player. Brandon Nimmo is trending in Dexter Fowler waters. No, he's better. It makes sense. I heard that about Dexter Fowler, uh, too. Brandon Nimmo is at strong. 2% of the vote for what it's worth. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm, they, they're they're thinking, thinking the same I'm thing I am. the only one who voted for Brandon they're Nimmo thinking the same way I am. Uh, mine I would Contreras, Bogart, Swanson, and Nimmo. Who would you want? Mine would be Xander Bogart's. Because I think that addresses a lot of issues for you, and I think that gives you the ability to look at Nolan Gorman and say, I think we can move this to get another piece. So I would go Xander Bogarts as my number one splash. I would go with Brandon Nimmo because oh, I think they're in desperate need of a everyday outfielder, and I think he fits what they're looking for, a guy that gets on base at a very good clip, and if he's healthy. Hold he can- on. Did you just say Brandon Nimmo? Yeah. Okay. He was the 2% that voted for yeah, him. Yeah, I voted for him on that poll. What are you talking about? Okay. But yeah, I would I would he say said, Brandon Nimmo. He said, hold on, yours was Brandon Nimmo. Wait, I thought you were on this train no, with Brandon me. Brandon Nimmo was like the, the piece that you put on there where it's like, yeah, he's not supposed to be on here, but we'll put him on here anyway. No, I, I wasn't think supposed to click on him. If they sign Brandon Nimmo, I will celebrate the signing because I think it will be a smart move. He'll, and it makes a ton of sense for what they need. He'll celebrate it like it's Steven Matz. No, he, this cool is a, this would be a much bigger no, signing than this Stephen is a Matt's. Stephen Matt signing to me. 
this is a Dexter Fowler signing. You, you Which got is a right. Stephen Matt signing. Now, that could, that does also include the downside of the Dexter Fowler signing. But there is upside of Brandon Nimmo's a really good player who last year kind of came together for him. And he did so in a big market team that had winning expectations. And it, it clicked. Yeah, and he's pushing for an NLCS. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. No, he's not. The guy that I would go with is also Xander Bogarts, though. Xander Bogarts does everything. I mean, this year he hit 310. He hit 295 the year prior. He hit 300 the year before that, 309 the year before that, 288 the year before that. In terms of OPS plus, 133, 140, 129, 130, 135. He's an excellent hitter. And he's a little below average when it comes to his defense, but this is the type of team that can make up for that. He could place, I would probably move him to second base on the Cardinals, leave Tommy Edmond at shortstop for this team. And Xander Bogarts will play second base a lot. He'll get some DH opportunities. And I'd also think it helps because whenever Mason Wynn is here, Mason Wynn just takes over at shortstop. And Tommy Edmond becomes a utility infielder for you that mostly plays against left-handed pitching. I, I think it works out really well. I have my questions as to whether or not they will extend themselves to the point where Xander Bogarts is going to get paid, though. That's, that's where it becomes difficult. Are they going to give out a six-year deal worth $28, 29000000 million per year for a guy that's going to be 31 years old this year. I, that That's where I have my skepticism. I think they would push back, too, on or not push back, but I think they would have concern about his defense, too, because he will be the shortstop for probably, I think, two years. I'd give him at least one year, yeah. I don't, I don't think you sell him on coming here to play second base. He probably wants to play shortstop. Give him shortstop for the first year, He'd and then when wins the ready. Two I wouldn't years have an issue with that, win. by the way. That's but fine. I, I think that the Cardinals wouldn't want to do it because I think they would view it as being a defensive downgrade, and I think the problem that they would have is the lack of shifting. And we talked about that earlier with Gorman is if you're afraid of what it's going to do for Gorman, let's hope that you've got Arnado next Bogarts. to him. Though. I think that makes, and makes Tommy Emmon back at second base actually really benefits you because your other options at second base are not going to be that good defensively. See, I find shortstop to be the most important position on the on the infield defensively. But even if you got Nolan Arenado on that side of the diamond with I mean, him, I could make that argument for Goldschmidt on the same dime, other side of the diamond for. But Gorman. it didn't benefit Nolan Gorman. Well, who's to say Arnold's going to benefit for Bogarts? That's my I think, point. I think your third baseman helps your shortstop a little more than a first baseman can with a second baseman, Arnold's especially when you're having to hold a runner on so at, so much more often at first. Um, but I think those are definitely the questions that they're going to have to ask. Age, defensive liability, contract. Th- those three things are why you wouldn't sign a guy like Xander Bogarts. I, I do think that when you look at his bat, though, he is exactly what this team is looking for because he's everything. Like yep. he's, he's just a really, really good hitter. He hits for power. He gets on base. He hits for average. He's got it all. We will be tomorrow out of Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. Looking forward to seeing as many of you guys as we can out there. So we'll be out there starting tomorrow at 11 a.m. Until then, we'll talk to you guys later. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Stats are for losers. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.